Businesses need to think beyond today. That's why ADP uses data-driven insights to design HR solutions to help your business find more success tomorrow. HR, time, talent, benefits, payroll. ADP, always designing for people. So that way we can let Bill WD-40 into the chat room to lube us up for tonight's show. Sibylla Irwin, good to have you here. And uh, let's see here. Glenn John McEnroe, the pride of Wimbledon. And good to have you here. Super Chat is open. It's a wonderful way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. Hi, Rui from Portugal. Thank you for joining us. Deb from SAC, thank you. Philip Baca, nice to have you in here early. And we are 30 seconds away from launch tonight. I am Pam, by the way. And Maggie M10, good to have you here. The store on our website, spacedoutradio.com, is open. We'd love to see you wearing our swag. If you do, take a picture for us. Send it on over. Amy, how you doing? And I think we're going to be caught up right now. We got 10 seconds until we launch it. Hi, TMI. Thank you for coming on in. My name is Dave Scott. Spaced Out Radio is right here. Do me a favor. Horns up. Let's rock. of Central British Columbia to you listening around the world. This, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Navy the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at spaced out radio, Instagram at spaced out radio show, and on TikTok at spaced out radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot. Read the newswire. Check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. A power show of information tonight. Rich Hoffman from the SCU is here to talk nuts and bolts of UFOs. In hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp. Swamp Dweller is back. Tim Senor has got the UFO report. And, of course, we will go overtime for our YouTube listeners after the show. Rich Hoffman has a BA in organizational communications from Wright State University. He is an information technologist and strategist. He has worked as a defense contractor for over 20 years, working primarily for the Army Material Command HQ with various companies. Currently, Mr. Hoffman works as an enterprise architect at Redstone Arsenal and the Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama. He has over 54 years of experience investigating and researching the UFO subject. Mr. Hoffman has served as Director of Investigations, Star Team Manager, and Director of Strategic Projects, as well as State Director of MUFON, and worked with numerous organizations, including the SCU, the Scientific Coalition of UAP Studies, at ExploreSCU.com. It's a heavy night of UFOs tonight, Mr. Rich Hoffman. It is a pleasure to have you on Spaced Out Radio for the first time. Thank you for joining us. Glad to be here, Dave. Thanks for inviting me. 54 years 
I've studied. Actually, can I can I correct that? Sure. Actually, it's in April. It'll be fifty nine years. Fifty nine years of studying yeah. UFOs. Have you ever yeah. seen one? Uh no. Really? Fifty. Nope. You know, I, I figured out why you're too busy in the, in the office, in the laboratory, pouring your chemicals, trying no, to figure out no. what the, what it all is. No. You got your nose in the books and you're not looking up. No, actually quite the opposite. I've, I've been the guy that's been out in the field talking with witnesses as they're, you know, like what, you know, after their sightings and stuff like that. So I'm a, I'm an field investigator. I'm, I'm climbing over fences late at night, going into fields. I'm checking things out. I'm also doing uh, sky watches and various other things my, myself. I'm constantly looking up. I'm always flying around the country as well, you know, in aircraft with my window open and my camera at the ready. Uh, and I, I've been all over the world. I, I do a lot of traveling and things like that. Uh, have yet to see one. I thought I saw one once, uh, and it turned out to be the Google Loon Project uh, balloon that took off from Huntsville, Alabama, and ended up in Canada. It was reported as UFOs along the way, but bottom line that that was a, a Google Loon secret project that they had. So, for you, what is the dream for you after fifty nine years of studying this? Is it just to see one? Is it to see a landing? Is it? Is it? What is the dream? That we get some un- sort of understanding about the phenomena. That's what I. That's what drives me. I, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, which is where Project Blue Book was. Okay, and so and I even got connected with Project Blue Book staff when they were still uh, open for business. Uh, In fact, many of the cases I was investigating in Dayton, Ohio, were with a Blue Book officer doing the same case investigation next to me. So uh, we were able to compare notes and then I ended up getting connected with the base personnel. But for me, it's a situation where uh, based upon the fact that this is a global phenomena, and that a report, you know, in any country sounds about the same in every other country. Uh, I don't have to see one. Uh, in fact, I've been on case investigations alone where I've seen things like, you know, uh, in the middle of a wheat field, uh, the crop is completely gone. Uh, a 70 foot in diameter area, circular area is there. And there's no roots two feet in the ground. So, uh, you know, I mean, you see a swirl pattern, then you see puffed wheat on the outer perimeter of that 70-foot diameter circular area. So when you have those kind of things and you also talk to, uh, you know, I talk with the people at the base. I even gave a UFO lecture out at the base. uh, And I had a chance to ask them, you know, how many of you have seen a UFO? And uh, like maybe one nervous hand goes up in a room full of people. And the next thing you know is you got a situation where they come up and they start telling you their individual stories at the break or after I'm done, and they're they're willing to talk about it, right? And I've had some of those people that say that my job was to go up and chase them with my aircraft with a gun camera mounted on it and try to film them. And so, you know, that's the kind of conversations you have, and these are very serious, dedicated people. Then why should I have to do anything with seeing one? I mean, I'm I'm convinced basically after uh, hearing the stories and seeing pretty much the evidence for myself. So you wouldn't want to run into a little gray dude with big eyes and just shake his hand and say, "Welcome to Earth." I don't have a need for it. No, and you know, and you know, to me, it's like you know, a lot of other people have had that experience, and I'm I'm happy for them. 
but at my stage, after 59 years, I'm dedicated to the scientific study of the phenomena, and I'm trying to push for that, and that's to continue what, what Jacques, I mean, Jacques Vallée and, and Jalen Hynek started back in the early days uh, when Blue Book was open. No, and so my goal, my goal is to get scientists together to, be able to start focusing on the subject and really learning what we can about every aspect of that phenomenon. What do you think the phenomena is? Is it earthly? Is it time travel? Is it outer space? There's more than one phenomena. So I'm, I'm, let me be cautious here. Uh, you know, there's, there's natural phenomena that we've got up there, like orbs and earth lights and things like that, which we haven't figured out what those are, how they are formed, or, and they often get reported as UFOs. So you've got that phenomena, which science doesn't really understand, and it ought to, right? Secondly, you've got a phenomena like the Tic Tac, which, you know, is going from dropping from 20,000 feet and stopping above the water uh, in less than a second. Uh, and, you know, and then it doesn't seem to be impacting our atmosphere. Uh, it doesn't have any kinetic effects. It doesn't have any, uh, you know, sonic booms or anything like that. So there's a phenomena there that we don't understand. Um, and then you've got other, you know, potentially other kinds of phenomena out there that are things we just don't understand yet. Like we didn't understand what a sprite was until the last decade. Uh, and yet those are high like, you know, uh, arcing kinds of lights that are above the, in the troposphere that are above clouds that we didn't even know existed. So there's a lot we just don't know because we haven't really done a good job of studying. Uh, and so, you know, the phenomena is all over the board. Uh, and then you have, you know, if you want to look at the hypotheses that are out there, uh, which we, we really don't, can't, we don't do a good job of disproving all the different hypotheses. And so they all remain, but you know, there's ET uh, and there are cases that look like it could be ET. Uh, there are cases that look like that it could be us from the future that are coming back in maybe time machines. It could be that they're interdimensional uh, because we have cases that, that kind of like lead us to that kind of conclusion and so I don't think that there's a single phenomena. There's potentially a multiple phenomena, and it maybe has multiple origins. And the problem is we, until we can really study these things and really figure it out, uh, we're not going to know. How far behind is mainstream science on this topic? I mean, we know the scientists that, that have put their names out there, yourself, Dr. Gary Nolan, uh, Jacques Vallée, and many, many others, Avi Loeb, uh, uh, the more recently. But is mainstream science that behind due to the stigma of this topic? Because I've heard many a stories that a lot of scientists want to get in this, but due to tenure, due to government grants and other grants, that they are just too weary about potentially being a known as a ufo guy in order to move help move this subject forward what's your thoughts on that well you got to understand i've been at this for so long i've seen a lot of cultural change with this whole thing for a long time back in the in the day in the 50s and stuff like that when we had flying saucers being reported and people were investigating them you know, you had the Air Force coming out with its, you know, typical like saying that, well, we can't explain about maybe 30 percent of them. 
Uh, and then there's a lot, you know, we just don't understand what the phenomenon is, but they've downplayed it. And especially after like, you know, the 1953 Robertson panel, when they came out and the CIA basically said, you need to debunk the whole thing and discredit the, the subject. And so they put that effort in place. And then eventually they got out of the whole subject completely with a whitewashed report by the University of Colorado called the Condon Report that helped them to get rid of the the, the subject completely. Uh, and when that happened, and it was blessed by the National Academy of Sciences on that ridiculous report that they put together, uh, and, it, and it's clear that you know that they didn't even read their own report. Um, it's a situation where it basically created the dark ages, in my view the dark ages of science, because basically the National Academy of Sciences said, don't waste your time. We're not going to accept any kind of papers, not going to expect and accept any kind of study. Uh, you know, and it became then shortly after that tabloid fodder, because then you go through your checkout sounds, you know, your stands and you're seeing the weekly, uh, the tabloids up there featuring ridiculous aliens with, you know, hold, shaking hands with presidents and various other things that made it a mockery. And so that was continued CIA work to be able to, to shut that up uh, and stop the topic. So, so mainstream science has not had any time to really investigate it because, number one, they've not been given the data to be able to do anything with it. It's not like, you know, that they were getting uh, the, the, all the data that Project Blue Book had. Uh, and, and then you had the Dark Ages that happened. And then, you know, you have in 2017 where it's suddenly it's starting to come out that, you know, hey, look, by the way, there's something up there. And, you know, and then the, the pronouncement from the, the, the political people saying, yeah, UFOs are real. Well, guess what that did? That started opening up conversations that were in closets for decades. And now you've got people that are joining SCU. Like we've got like, you know, over 235 members and they're largely, you know, scientists or scientists you know, engineers and various other kinds of things who have come out of the closet and feel like that they can actually now have a conversation without being ridiculed. And by the way, the stigma is still there. There are universities that can't have professors talking about the subject, but then there are some glimmers of hope and you're starting to see that, uh, that they can do that. Uh, Dr. Hakan Kayel in, in Germany is now getting funded by the university to do UAP research. So he's got, you know, he's got all kinds of incredible things going on there. And we're hoping that that's going to continue where we can get, you know, now the conversation going to where people can feel comfortable and not be ridiculed. And I know that that whole effort's on underway with even the Pentagon work to be able to get now pilots who, you know, in the past were threatened with having to go for psychological counseling or even, you know, fines if they mentioned it. Now they're able to come out and able to talk about it, and they're trying to do that. And so we're, that's, what's, that's the best answer I can give you, Dave. Well, the thing that I kind of look at at this, isn't it kind of anti-science to be treating this subject the way it's been treated from Neil deGrasse Tyson all the way down? Because I remember one scientist telling me, he's like, Dave, we're all geeks, man. There is no limit to science, and if it's out there, we all grew up on Star Trek. We all grew up on Star Wars and, and everything along those lines to push the limits, 
and we just can't do it because of the handcuffs that are on us. So isn't it going against the grain of science when we see fellow scientists saying there's nothing there, we're not exploring it, when everything is changing every single day? Yeah, well, they don't make up the the complete list of all the people that are willing to get the subject brought up. I mean, you know, those are talking heads. You know, Neil deGrasse Tyson and all those other things are are basically, you know, how do I say it, entertainers uh, more than anything. They get out there with uh, their science and then they're entertaining. And they, they're the ones that you're going to see on the late night, you know, news or whatever like that, giving their opinion. And none of them have done any of the legwork to really study the phenomena. Probably have them, you know, maybe picked up one book or two, but that's about it. And so I, I really don't listen to everybody's opinion on it because it's not worth my time. I'd rather spend time talking to people who are going to talk about the subject seriously, treat it seriously, and and see what we can learn. And that's precisely what you're doing. And I don't spend my time, you know, dealing with all the other crap that's going on on the uh, social media and everywhere else. And and I don't care about their opinions. The, the the we've we've been distancing this subject for a long, long time. And it's about time we really spend some time focusing on it. And that's precisely what I'm pushing for. I think that's great. And I think that has to continue to happen along with the SCU and everything that goes along with it. What is your frustration about the lack of support regarding this? Is it your fellow scientists? Is it the government? Is it the military? Well, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a defense contractor. I, I, I'm, I'm aware of the uh, the desire to be able to protect citizens, okay, you know, and also to, to it's one thing to say that uh, there's a there's a phenomena that's out there that you can do nothing about. It, it outmaneuvers you. It, it, it's more capable than you. It's like you know thousands of years ahead of us. Uh, and to say that you're also in charge of the skies. So the Air Force would have problems with that because it clearly is not in control of the skies, uh, as we've even seen, you know, maybe with the balloon phenomenon we had recently. But uh, the the problem is that our skies are filled with these things and we aren't doing an effective job studying them. And I don't think necessarily that it has to be the military to do that. I think it's quite frankly, it's, it's academia. And if they would open up the friggin' information and give it to us, we might be able to do something with it scientifically, right? But my frustration comes in the fact that, number one, we're, we're all doing this uh, as a grassroots effort. We're, we're, you know, having to rely on donations. We, we get limited information from uh, that's really good information from the government. They're keeping it pretty much in, in tow. And again, you know, they, they, they use the, the, uh, the, the context of saying that I don't want to give you this video because it has some sort of classification behind it. Uh, and I think that we do overclassify things. I think that there are things that, that don't have to be as classified. But I don't see any changes sitting in the DOD like I am where we're suddenly going to be more open and transparent about things we think that we don't want the Chinese to know. We don't want some other, you know, adversary or something like that to know. So we, you know, just keep our mouths shut. Um, and there's a there's so, a problem there. 
obviously without breaking your NDA or anything along those lines, because you do have to get up for work on uh, in the morning, as we all do. Is there a hidden agenda that is going on regarding this subject? Is there something that we're not being told? I mean, we hear Congressman Tim Burchett, who, you know, love or hate his politics or his personal stance. He has been an extreme voice of saying there is a major cover-up going on and we need to open it up to the American public. What's your thoughts? Well, I mean, let me let me go back to Tim Burchett. I mean, and, and a number of other congressmen, I think. I think, you know, first off, they're all human. They all have their own opinions. They may have also had experiences, Right. So they listen and they come up with their own decisions, and then they they use their uh, their, their their pulpits within their their you know rep- being a representative to be able to now express some of those things with confidence, right? Uh, we're all subject to all. If you take a look at the politics of of even the United States, you'll see that it's you know we got some people on the the are believing the deep fringes of conspiracy theories, right? And so they're consequently out believing that stuff and touting that. So it doesn't mean that a pilot can't make a, cannot make a mistake or that a, a congressman can't make a mistake or be impacted by, you know, all of the crap that's out there, right? And there's a lot of bad information that's out about the whole subject. And I'm seeing that a lot. Um, and so consequently, you know, I'm not surprised by Tim Burchett making the claim. But I think that it has to be backed up with evidence. And I, I'm, you know, again, I, I don't see that there's evidence even within the DOD world of that. But then let me clarify. It's usually out in the contractor world where those things are being kept and they're not subject to FOIA regulations as a contractor. So you've got an industry out there like Lockheed Martin be, may be heavily involved in UAP research that you'd never know about because ultimately, you know, the FOIAs are all- Going to Walt Disney World this year? Visit Undercover Tourist first. With Undercover Tourist, save up to $82 per ticket. Get your hotel and rental car with Undercover Tourist and save an extra 30%. Experience Disney for less with Undercover Tourist, an authorized Disney seller with over 20 years of superior service. Visit UndercoverTourist.com slash podcast for the lowest prices on all Walt Disney World Resort tickets. Plus, your tickets come with a 365-day refund guarantee. That's UndercoverTourist.com slash podcast. Baby on the way? Do you find yourself thinking a lot about your family's future? and ways you can plan for your family's future help. You should look into cord blood banking with Viacord for your newborn. Visit Viacord.com. That's V-I-A-C-O-R-D.com to learn all about the benefits of saving your baby's cord blood for your family. Cord blood banking is a great way to start your family's future health care planning. That's V-I-A-C-O-R-D.com. Only getting to the government people. Okay, with two and a half minutes to go before we got to go to break at the bottom of the hour, uh, Rich Hoffman from the SCU is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. I want to get into the public side of everything because, in your opinion, is the UFO public not so much you know the the anarchic UFO Twitter world, but is the UFO public a hindrance or a complement to the study of this subject? Did you want me to answer that now or are we going to the break? No, no, we got about two minutes. Okay. All right. Well, 
there's a bit of a hindrance going on because quite frankly, you know, a lot of the scientists don't want to engage the subject because again, the, the stigma and at the same time, because there's a lot of whacked out kinds of theories that you can find out that, that impact them and turn them away from serious study of this because they see it's a joke or it's, you know, if somebody saw something and they're, they're, they're using their, their pulpit, if you would, online to be able to talk about it and their beliefs. What I know from being an investigator is that, you know, not all those things can be credible. You're talking with some people who are psychotic or have social issues or, or psychological issues that are all also on, you know, social media. And, uh, you know, I, I've experienced that. I mean, I, I found when I investigated experience or cases that some of them had golf ball size or baseball size things on it, and they're calling it an implant, you know, and it's not an implant not by any stretch of the imagination. And you ask them, did you get it medically looked at? And they say, no, <laughs> you know, so I mean, okay, well maybe you should, right. You know, I mean, it, so we have a, we have a problem with that. Um, and I think that it's, it's impacting us. Also the misinformation that's out there that's being spread is impacting us. And it's, it's causing us to lose sight of what we want to really study. And so I, I'm saying that there's a negative impact to it. Uh, I also think that that, you know, the reason why they got they're doing the military cases, quite frankly, is because they don't want to deal with the public sightings because of that very reason. Let's talk about that when we return on Spaced Out Radio. The public, which role do we play in ufology and is it healthy to the continued studies of UFOs? Rich Hoffman from the Scientific Coalition of UAP Studies, the SCU. You can find them on Twitter at ExploreSEU or ExploreSEU.org. Spaced Out Radio, second half hour, coming up right after this. Stay tuned. Well, that's a solid start. Solid start. You having fun yet? Can I talk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I didn't know if we were still yeah, on or sorry. what. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Oh, all right. So anyway, I yeah, it's I mean, to me, there's a there's a lot to this whole phenomena thing. And, uh, you know, there is a role that the public can play. And it's a matter for me to be able to probably talk a little bit about it, what I think uh, that they could be doing to help us as opposed to hinder. Yeah. But it, there's we'll, a, we'll get into that after the break. Yeah. The phenomena has, you know, it's almost cultish, cultish or like little religions and pockets of religions that have formed. Uh, and, you know, if you are not part of that group with that particular religion, then you're a, you're a bad person and you're whatever, you know. Um, and that's sad for me. I mean, uh, we should all be working together, helping each other to be able to figure this thing out. And uh, I'm hoping that that'll happen in my lifetime. Well, that'll be good. I, I hope it happens, too. See, uh, if you don't know uh, about me, uh, the the deeper part about me is uh, I'm a journalist by trade. And that's what I went to school for. And then in 2011, I started, you know, I, I quit terrestrial radio in 2007. And then in 2011, my experiences started. Uh, the UFOs and aliens didn't start coming around until about 2013. 
late 2012 into 2013, 2014, I had a couple of incredible encounters, um, very, very close, up close and personal that just changed the entire dynamic of my life. And, and it continued on for a while. That's the reason why I started this show in, in November of 2014. Sure. And because I didn't know where to go. And I wasn't getting the answers from what I was seeing. So, you know, sometimes you got to do something about it. So this was uh, my contribution and stubborn me. I'm still here. Still here, man. (laughs) Don't know why, but still am. But, uh, you know, so I come at this. I try and come at this from a pragmatic angle as an experiencer. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I don't believe, you know, but one thing that I have learned through this entire journey is there's a lot of people out there making some extraordinary claims and they seem so far out and then it happens to you the exact same thing and you're like that's not fair that's not fair at all how do i explain this if i don't want to believe it you know yeah and and how do you get others to accept the fact that you had that it's it's personal it's completely personal (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah and and you know you could you you are you going to standing up in front of Congress and telling them that hi I this is what I believe do you think that that's going to change anything probably not and and so we have a situation where there's you know you asked about what the goal is I think the goal is that we get again scientists embracing it on both sides of the house by the way I, I'm, I'm talking about psychologists, sociologists, medical doctors, psychologists, and everybody else and their brother looking at that, doing their best job to figure out their side of their house. At the same time, you know, let the, the physics people or look at the uh, whatever they can to figure it out in terms of the hardcore nuts and bolts kind of thing and see that, look at those, you know, effects that we see with soil and everything else. You know, l- let's figure that out too. Uh, and then at some point, bring them together so that they can actually now see if there's any relationship whatsoever. Right. Uh, sounds logical. I will say that it sounds very logical and an illogical yeah. uh, type of, uh, of understanding here, but uh, yeah, you know, so um, we got about a minute to go here. Uh, hi, Brooke Sharp. How are you? And Christian, thank you so much for adding to the super chat tonight. Very much appreciate you, man. And I will get to your question in hour two for Mr. Hoffman. And uh, Thomas Fessler from Disclosure Tonight, thank you so much for that awesome super chat. By the way, great show earlier. And, uh, yes, Thomas, uh, proud to be touched by an alien. Them sons of bitches. But nonetheless, uh, <laughs> we could get into that in a different way. Hey, ye, what's going on, buddy? Uh, just, uh... uh uh, glad. Oh, hold on. Very cool. My buddy Mike here, the gym we go to, there's been like U.S. Special Forces working out in the gym there. And uh, apparently he's got a story for me tomorrow. Yeah, I'm busy from 10 to 11, anytime before or after, Mikey. All right. Thank you to our super chatters, Louie, Neuro, Jenny, Amy, Kira, Jeff, Deb, Dennis, W. Decker, Tyrone, Christian, and Thomas. Here we go. Second half hour.
Second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. I want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot. Read up on the Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go. Second half hour from the Scientific Coalition of UAP Studies. Rich Hoffman is here with us tonight. Rich, thank you so much for being here. And right before the break, we were kind of getting into whether or not the UFO public was a hindrance or a help regarding the subject of UFOs. And you said something that really caught my attention right before we were going to go to break, and that was this. Because of the stories that people have it's very difficult to tell whether or not they are real or not. And I understand that they're anecdotal, but maybe that's why we're only seeing this subject being handled on a military level rather than a public level as of right now. Uh, And I would love for you to continue that thought if you don't mind. Sure. Um, You know, I've investigated cases where I've had like as many as 30 people looking at the same object. Just want to point that out to you. And when you've had cases like that and you have each of them come back and do a drawing and sketch what they did and write out what they did, you'll find out that they each have their own version of what they saw, what they interpreted, and also uh, how they drew it was different because they heard something different or they saw something different. Uh, They interpreted something different. And so when you look at it and you say, well, which one of these is true, you have a problem because truth is basically based on individuals' interpretations, their sensory inputs and things like that, how their their mind uh, interprets it. And so consequently, it becomes a problem for you to figure out, well, what is really true here? And that's a challenge that we have in doing UFO investigations and trying to figure that out in and of itself, is what is the truth? What is the ground truth? We don't really know. Uh, what we interpret, you know, people's memories go, uh, you know, I mean, we clearly uh, have identified the fact that, you know, people's memories can go out a week later and be completely wrong, Uh, you know. And so we're challenged with listening to anecdotal testimony because it's so inconsistent. And that doesn't help us get to the truth that we want to get to, which is why it's easier for many physical scientists to be able to say, I can get truth from looking at what the physical evidence is. In other words, the soil's been baked two feet in the ground, and I can figure something out about that. I can look at the fact that there is burnt marks on uh, on trees as the object is leaving, and it broke the tree limbs as it, as it departed. Tells me that there was something physical there and something that I'm looking at. So it helps me to understand that and then to see if I can calculate the force that's required to break the tree limb or uh, what kind of scorching happened on the soil, what might have done that. And so you can actually look at that and kind of like inter- try to interpret and make sense of it. When you're dealing with a phenomena that could potentially be, you know, like, you know, thousands of years ahead of us, 
we don't really understand, number one, how it flies, what its, its means of propulsion is, how does it stay up, uh, why is it that we, ha- we see some effects around the objects in one case and we do not see it in another. Uh, you know, there seems to be even some variations on, on the objects themselves. So how do you then interpret where, is there any consistency between them? In other words, if I saw one that, you know, the disc shaped and I saw another one that's disc shaped, this one might be picked up on radar and this one's not picked up on radar. And this one has some sort of an, a wobbling effect as it's in the air. This one is perfectly still. What's the distinctions? Why am I seeing those variations in terms of that same kind of shaped object? And what can I make out of that? So there's a, there's a bit of like a logic that you have to go with in terms of trying to interpret that and see if you can come up with an explanation for it. And that's what oftentimes leads to problems in our, in terms of science, even studying this thing, uh, and our challenges. The challenge of trying to figure out what these things are, where they're from, there's a multitude of answers that could be out yeah. there. You know, exactly. and everything is is plausible from time travel to different dimensions to to space and and we're talking deep space, not not just our own solar system. Have you I'm going to word this carefully because I know there are certain things you can and cannot say. Have you ever seen evidence to figure out or that gives you an inkling where the some of this phenomena is coming from? Well, I think that, you know, I tend, if I look at those various, uh, various kinds of like uh, hypotheses about the origin, and I, and I mentioned before, I think that there's multiple of those in play here. So I'm not going to give you one answer and say that this represents all the UFOs on the planet. Okay. I can't do that. As I told you before, there, there was a situation where I mean, take a look at the beings that are typically reported in, in kind of experiencers kind of situations. What do they look like? They look like small humans, basically. They got you know large eyes. Some many of most are described as having large eyes, a single head, you know, a slit for a mouth that maybe is not being used. They're doing something that's telepathic. Uh, then you also have the situation that they've got like fingers. They've got uh, maybe feet, and they stand up the way that they are, uh, and they seem to be able to breathe in our atmosphere or at least get along with that. They're able to maneuver around in our, uh, our gravity. Um, what does that tell you? And the fact that, you know, we're the only species, the human is the only species on this planet that basically is not, that's bipedal, that stands up and walks like we do, and that looks with their heads rotated up like this to look straight out, the rest of the animals have to, you know, are on fours and they have to have their head bent up. But our brains have, you know, and our the, the rotation of our head tells anthropologists that what we're dealing with is more of potentially of a human kind of like being that we're seeing. Uh, and, you know, uh, OK, so what does that tell you? It tells you that there's characteristics about those beings that look at, and appear like that they're human. Could these potentially be beings from a future time? Is that what we're going to look like, you know, thousands of years ahead? Uh, you know, and then you talk to Dr. Leon Kazarian, who I talked with in the, in the 70s. I talked with him uh, at a 
TV studio after he saw me on TV show uh, in Dayton. And he was the chief of Aeromed Research at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And he said that, you know, he had a team studying the, the basically blood of cosmonauts and astronauts after they've been out in space. And his team had projected out the fact that we would look like those beings that you're talking about within two generations of living in space. Hmm. So if that's an interesting study, if we're going to look like that, if we live out in space for two, two generations, you know, we become space nomads or whatever like that. And we suddenly start to have beings that are small, our muscles don't develop, and we, we have maybe the same kind of thing. Maybe, maybe that down the road we figure out how to do uh, time travel. You know, it could be thousands of years from now. It could be 2,000 years from now or whatever. It could be thousands of years, many more than that. And ultimately we figure out how to do uh, time travel, if you would. Now we want to come back in time and then we show up and we suddenly here we are on this date. And what do we do? We see the object out here and we then see the, the small beings that look like us. Uh, if you look at Travis Walton's case in 1975 in Hebrew, Arizona, he describes seeing those small people, but they also saw one that looked just like humans. Well, guess what? If the concept of us going out into space, all those people become relatively small, but they go on a mission and they bring somebody who's been on Earth all that time that looks just like us. Guess what? Now you have Travis Walton seeing the two different types of beings the small diminutive type, and then they've got the one that looks like a normal human being, right? So, I mean, some of the cases there that you see are, are actually kind of like fitting into that, that hypothesis that I'm talking about. But at the same time, you've got objects that are like, you know, the, the Tic Tac and various other things that are maneuvering at interstellar speeds, interstellar speeds. And so... Consequently, if you took those interstellar speeds of that tic-tac dropping from 20,000 feet in less than one second, ending up and stopping above the water, that speed is enough to get you out into the universe easily, and you, you'd be able to get over you know, many galaxies away uh, in no time, because time is relative, of course, you know, to, the, to the individual on board that going near the speed of light, time slows down. And for the individual on that flight going that one-way direction, bottom line, it's only been a month that I'm on the other side of the, uh, the galaxy or I'm on the other side of uh, the universe in a month. Now, try to come back. Obviously, we all have aged, you know, thousands and thousands of years. So when you see these people, uh, you know, these scientists allegedly say, it's too impossible for you to go out into the universe and to do this thing. Well, if you had a spacecraft like the Tic Tac, guess what? You could do that pretty easily. You just wouldn't expect to come back to the planet Earth and seeing it in the same fashion. But what happens if we became space nomads, where you go one-way travel to another place and you end up on a planet, and then you, you, know, you take off from there, you go to a different planet, pretty soon the entire universe could be easily, you know, with a lot of different people that have been doing this for a long, long time, and we got almost four and a half, you know, a half billion years or something like that since the beginning of the universe. Well, civilizations could have, uh, you know, definitely come along and improved, uh, you know, and, and, and it appeared a long, long time ago. And now we're just being moved around. And so we're part of the, part of the experiment. And that is that we could have been dropped off here and being genetically manipulated if we were by, by aliens who are here 
who did the space travel to here. And, you know, they helped create us. And they've been just monitoring us all along. That's another bit of speculation you could do, right? So I don't, I mean, so you can, you can go with that. You can also talk about the objects that just appear out of nowhere and just vanish into nothingness. Uh, and, you know, you could say that that's, inner, you know, some sort of an inner, inner uh, uh, dimensional type of travel or something like that that they're doing. We just don't know. And it could be any one of those. And all those things can be, uh, there are cases that help to justify that hypothesis. The nuts and bolts aspect is really something that I have been arguing against over the last couple of years regarding the study, literally ever since the To the Stars Academy came out. Because, you know, I'm not a science guy. I'll be the first one to admit that. Planning a sun and sand vacation should be fun, not stressful. Apple Vacations makes planning your getaway easy with a selection of all-inclusive resorts all around the world. It's like turning on easy mode. You can explore the soft white sands of the Caribbean, swim in the Pacific blue waters of Mexico, or travel across the Atlantic to the shores of Europe with the inclusive collection, part of Hyatt Hotels and Resorts. The choice is yours. Planning an Apple Vacation has never been easier. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com. Baby on the way? Do you find yourself thinking a lot about your family's future and ways you can plan for your family's future help? You should look into cord blood banking with Viacord for your newborn. Visit Viacord.com. That's V-I-A-C-O-R-D.com to learn all about the benefits of saving your baby's cord blood for your family. Cord blood banking is a great way to start your family's future health care planning. That's V-I-A-C-O-R-D.com. And I don't know everything about UFOs, not even close. Okay, but the one thing that I do know is there are a lot of good people out there that have really felt slighted by the scientific community. Not you or the SCU, but I'm saying the overall community in regards to their own experiences. They feel almost shunned by this newfound popularity regarding the subject of UFOs, where we're trying to find, you know, whether or not uh, these things are uh, where they're coming from, their propulsion systems, how they're able to turn on a dime, G-forces, everything that goes along with it. How do we blend the two in order to make this successful research? Because people out there who have had experiences, they just want to know why me. That's it. It's a real simple yet impossible question to answer. And and the one question that I get a lot from experiencers is, I feel that the scientific community is frowning on me and people like me because our experiences have us looking down a different path. What do you say to that? Oh, it's pretty clear to me. It's it's clear to me, and I've been talking a lot about this with other people as well. I, I think, you know, it, it's a situation where it's, it's easy for me to go study those effects that are around the objects. In other words, I can look at the the physics about the craft. I can see that there's displacement of water when the object goes into it. I think we need to quit pointing the finger at the other, the other group, if you would, allow them to develop their, their methodologies and the way that they're going to approach that and encourage both of those different you know, views, if you would, 
to really figure it out on this side, figure it out and let us figure it out on this side so that we can now put those things together when we've actually figured something out. And the problem is, you know, you're not being shunned. It's just easier for a physical science who, who's a, in a, into physics or into some aspect of that in engineering to go spend his time focusing and doing what he's doing over here and then finding out who is the appropriate group to figure out how to deal with the experience or phenomena that's out there. And that should be a collective people that are completely open, that are focused on it, that might have you know, everything from medical to psychologists and everything else, and, and to do what they need to do and, and uh, to allow them to really, and then also to encourage people to talk about what their experiences are. Because I, you know, quite frankly, we're having, we're basically spiritual beings having a human experience. And then, you know, it's a situation where it's like, you know, let's, let's, how do I interpret that? How do I know that? Do I, uh, how do, how do I study that? And a physical scientist is not going to know how to approach consciousness. He's not going to know how to do that stuff. Um, and so his, his worldview is stuck around those like, looking at lab rats or, you know, like, or whatever like that, that they do. And we need to encourage them to do that at the same time, not discourage the other group from continuing to morph and develop what it needs to do to study itself too. And I think, again, I'm encouraged because I think if both of them do their homework, right. And we can actually spend some time, like I already told you before, we're just now getting to the point where scientists are wanting to get engaged in this. We're just now getting to that after this phenomena being around for a long, long time. So we don't want to discourage that. I want to encourage it. At the same time, I don't spend my time focusing on other things uh, that are outside of my understanding or my bailiwick. And, and so I'm not going to go deal with your experience or things because, number one, I don't have a you know I don't have the medical understanding about dealing with your little the the bumps or the implants that are out there. I don't know about that stuff, and I don't know about you know all that uh, other kinds of experience or kinds of things that I have, you know. And so I don't know who to send you to, and that's what I was struggling with even as a state director for MUFON when I would get reports like that coming in. So I found out that we had like Kathleen. Uh, Martin and some other teams that were helping us with that to be able to do that. And I would send cases over to them because I want them to get their, you know, to study it because they're trained for that. Right. And they, they have, that's where they need to focus. And so both parties have to do it. I have to study the physical effects that are around the cases. She needs to be dealing with all the other aspects around the experience of thing. And we need to look at this holistically but don't expect me to become a medical doctor or psychologist or anything like that that could be qualifying or even helping those cases along. And early on, when I got started as a 13-year-old in the subject of UFOs, I was being asked to go out and investigate anything that, got, that did bump in the night. I was expected to go out to be a Bigfoot investigator. I investigated cases. I was expected to be out and doing ghost things. And I said, well, I can't do all these different things. They may be separate phenomena. And my interest was in the UFO. So I'm just going to focus on the UFO and then pass off cases to the smart people about Bigfoot, the smart people about, you know, this or that. And that's the view that many of us take. Hope that helps. 
But there are scientists who are looking into it at Rice University yes. and at Stanford. You have Dr. Yes. Gary Nolan who is looking into it and others who have, say, yes. studied and gone very deep with the Chris Bledsoe case who we had on yes. just the other night. So, I mean, this they are moving into that subject. The question, yeah, the question is, you know, will this become eventually a part of the process? And if you think it will, what's that timeline in your opinion? I'm thinking that that's probably going to happen maybe something like a, you know, decades away. I don't think that we've got any, in terms of our understanding of even the physics around the craft or the nature of why these things are so variant or different. And it's largely because we're not getting good data. And until we get good data to study on the, the physics side of the, or, or, or that type of thing, or the regular, the other scientists over here that the study, the, the, the physics and, and everything else, until we get the data to be able to give to them to be able to do their study, they're not going to be able to make much progress at all. And so, you know, and then you have the, the, the people on the other side of the equation and, you know, you, you just mentioned a few people, but it's not very large number of people that have even tackled that aspect. You know, even when we had the experiencer kind of phenomenon that was coming in with MUFON, we only had a group of a few people we could go to that had any understanding scientifically of that. So, you know, it's going to take a while, I think, before that happens. A while, 10 years, 20 years? 50 years? Well, I said a couple, I said a couple decades. I think that that's, you know, probably going to be like that for a while. I, I don't think that we'll have very many, uh, until we can get some data to study that's really qualified and good data, that scientists is really not going to advance as quickly as we'd like, and it'll probably be a, a long time out. Two minutes to go here before we got to go to break at the top of the hour. Rich Hoffman from the SCU is our guest tonight. What is good data? Explain that to us who don't have that scientific background, who may not understand. Well, let me let me put it to you like this. For example, you, you've mentioned the fact that you've had experience or kinds of things. Do you have any data that you can provide and give to a scientist about your experience? But what is proof? That's my my point is. Do you have things like you know video camera footage? Do you have uh, do you have and a lot of people have that? Do you have any kind of other electronic kinds of devices that are helping to support the fact that maybe that this happened. Did you see no, the electromagnetic uh, kind of effects associated with and So these are the kinds of right. things that I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about even with the Nimitz case that you had, you had a pilot, several pilots, and, and, and also the Wizos aboard that actually saw them. You had radar data. You had, uh, you had also, you could have potentially had sonar data. You could have had a, a whole bunch of other kinds of gadgets and gizmos that were being impacted uh and you had you know some video data and you had electromagnetic interference with the craft so you have some elements of data that multi-sensory that you can actually use to give to a scientist and say here study this right that's the data i'm talking about we don't have because a lot of the cases that we get especially from people who see these blurred images at night and they take them with their cell phones you know and then they pass off that's not good. I mean, what are we going to do with a blurred image of, uh, of a light that was at night? But if you had the camera instead taking it in the thermal ranges, it, you might start to learn a little bit more about it. Or if you had uh, a, a camera that was a better, better camera, if you would, 
then you might be able to get some more data. You might have had, you know, your uh, camera where it was actually recording sound with that, and you, we potentially could be hearing sounds that are beyond the the range of hearing by humans. Uh, and that, if we had the right devices to do that, we might be able to learn something more about them. We don't have that. We haven't looked at UFOs until recently in anything but the visible spectrum. And the electromagnetic spectrum is pretty huge. It's in consisting of ultraviolet. It's got gamma ray. It's got uh, it's got uh, you know infrared, and now we're starting to see a little uh, uh, infrared equipment telling us about the heat signatures associated with the object. So now we're learning a little bit about that as well. And then if you start to pick up the fact that people are seeing and it's recording some things like you know, like some sort of like ripple effects around the craft. You know what? Let's continue that. When we return, we'll also get to some audience questions. When we return for Rich Hoffman from the Scientific Coalition of UAP Studies. It's all UFOs all tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Stay tuned. Hour number two is coming up right after this. Stay tuned. And we're clear. And uh, good chat. Good chat so far. One hour done. One hour to go. Uh, Ross Dogs, welcome back, man. And Jan or Jan, welcome back. And uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break. I'm just going to step away, go check on my dogs because I'm the only one home tonight. And uh, Rich, I'm going to put you back in the green room. I will be right back in a couple of minutes, okay? No problem. All right. Stay with us, audience. Stay with us. <coughs>
I am back. And bring Rich back in here. We got about two minutes, Rich. Two minutes. I want to say thank you to Louie, Nero, Jenny, Amy, Kira, Jeff, Deb, Dennis, W. Decker, Tyrone, Christian, Thomas, Gizmo times two, Nancy H. and Cat Chaser for the amazing super chats. Uh, very much appreciate it. Um, and our store on our website is open at spacedoutradio.com. If you have questions in our chat room for Rich Hoffman, do us a favor, uh, put them in capital letters so that way I can read them properly and go from there. And, yeah. Juliana, I'm going to re when I ask your question, I'm going to rephrase it a little bit. Okay, because that's more on the woo side than the scientific side of what we're discussing tonight, but I will ask it. All right, we got about one minute here. A reminder to everybody if you are going to our Vegas event. On May, May, April, May 19th through 21st at the Golden Nugget. We'd love to have you all there. And if you could, uh, hit up our email, info at spacedoutradio.com, info at spacedoutradio.com, and confirm your tickets if you've already emailed in. Uh, for some reason, I, we may be having troubles with our emails getting back to you. Uh, I, I was trying to email Rich before the show, and it seems like for some reason our emails may not be getting through to Gmail accounts. So uh, check a, check your junk mail. There might be something there from us. So uh, if you can, re-email uh, us at info at spacedoutradio.com so that way we can get it all in there for you and get your tickets confirmed for VIP. Thank you. Here comes hour number two. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway tonight. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Redhibition. Redhibition is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go. Rich Hoffman from the Scientific Coalition of UAP Studies is here talking about the nuts and bolts of UFOs. And right before we get to audience questions, Rich, I unfortunately had to cut you off about what you were saying regarding the scientific aspect of what these craft are and how we kind of bring it all together. I'd love for you to finish that off before we get to some audience questions. Sure. 
I mean, uh, to me, it's a situation where the uh, the science aspect has to be on both disciplines, of, of both perspectives. That's why I was trying to say that we need to encourage scientists to embrace this. And also, you got the challenge where, you know, for example, even in experience, a situation that especially if they got like something like that, they're they're claiming that they have an implant. Uh, we haven't got you know, who, who's got the funds to be able to send that individual? We haven't got insurance lined up to be able to accept that individual to be able to get proper analysis or investigation. And the medical community just looks at it. Let me, let me fix the body and uh, return the person. So we, we've got a long way to go on that side in terms of getting support from even medical and psychologists that are willing to even embrace the subject. Uh, I'm glad that we do have the few people that we do have that are willing to to actually do that. And I'm hopeful that in the future we'll learn more about that uh, and we can apply that or look at that in the context of the physical sciences that are out there that are focusing on their aspects and maybe somehow come to agreement. I'm hopeful. Um, but I just don't want people to think that that you're being shunned it's just that a lot of times it's a situation where what do you do with a story that somebody tells you that's really incredible and especially if you're a physicist what do you do with that i don't know how to engage that i'm not even sure what to do with it and they they live in this kind of a situation where that's their focus is that physics they want to look at you know the the quantum levels they want to look at that type and it just doesn't help them out and if they even if they get into consciousness how do you explain consciousness? I don't think we have a good understanding of even what that really means or where it comes from within us. Uh, and yet we're all conscious beings. And so it's a situation where I think that it's going to take a little bit of time before each of those disciplines figure out things. And they need to be encouraged as opposed to, to discouraged in allowing them the space to do that. All right, let's get to some audience questions here. Let's start off with Tim. Planning a sun and sand vacation should be fun, not stressful. Apple Vacations makes planning your getaway easy with a selection of all-inclusive resorts all around the world. It's like turning on easy mode. You can explore the soft white sands of the Caribbean, swim in the Pacific blue waters of Mexico, or travel across the Atlantic to the shores of Europe with the inclusive collection, part of Hyatt Hotels and Resorts. The choice is yours. Planning an Apple Vacation has never been easier. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Does SCU ever get asked directly by government agencies to review and report on data they provide, example, video or radar? Well, you know, it's it's government data that was released through uh, by Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon that we were able to actually study for the Nimitz case, right? We also looked at the Go Fast video. We also looked at the, uh, the, the uh, gimbal videos. And those came out of the government. Uh, we've been trying to engage the government in, in the context of being able to get them to open up to data. But the problem is, again, the classification aspect. Um, 
I'm cleared because I worked in the Department of Defense. I would be able to look at the data that would be handed to me, and that would be perfectly fine. But in the context of many of our members who are not with the military and haven't gone through clearances, then it becomes a situation where they're not going to share their data, which potentially could be classified in nature, uh, uh, and be able to, to get anything from that. So we're, we're having to rely on just getting leaked data, if you would, to be able to do something. Uh, at one point, our, we were mentioned uh, in the, uh, the, basically in the Intelligence Authorization Act, uh, other than before it was rewritten, uh, and then we were taken out. But SU was mentioned along with the Galileo Project as being a part of a committee that we could help to also educate the government on the subject of UFOs. And they could benefit from that because a lot of the congressmen, as you're talking about Tim Burchett and some of the other ones, they're, they're just going on the basis of what little they know uh, and what they've seen and heard on the Internet. And that's not the way to treat it either. So I want to add to this question because outside of the SEU, you have Galileo, you have... You have a number of groups out there, you know, Ryan Graves' new group. Uh, you have Enigma Labs. You have MUFON stepping up and many others who are trying to get into this UFO nuts and bolts game. It now seems like it's a race to um, it's a race to try and find the information that's going on and, and maybe government contracts that go, may go along with that. Are there all of a sudden too many groups doing different focuses or the same focuses? Or is there conglomeration going on behind the scenes between all these groups? Well, you're precisely uh, correct when you're saying that there's a lot of different groups. Uh, one of the things that we're attempting to do in SEU is we've partnered with a lot of those various groups. So we've now partnered with the Center for UFO Studies. We've partnered with UAPX. We've partnered with uh, uh, a number of other key players that are also trying to collect information, uh, collecting data, helping us to collect data. And so we are attempting to, to bring them together because, quite frankly, if we're all competing for the same data or we're all trying to get it, um, we need to work cooperatively together. Uh, we need to be sharing and realizing that every one of us can do that. I, I, I was, uh, last year, I went over and briefed uh, NATO in Bologna, Italy, on the subject of UFOs. Uh, and I encouraged them to be able to have the 30 member countries of NATO to also collect and share data. Uh, do I believe that that's going to happen? Probably not anytime near uh, soon. But nevertheless, I am starting to see these glimmers of hope where you're starting to see either other countries who may have a different attitude around the subject uh, who are willing to start now also sharing their information, even though we can't get it maybe out of the United States uh, data. So it's, it's very important that we work globally because it is a global phenomena. But at the same time, we, we uh, SEU, tries to be as transparent with the data as possible uh, and also, I'll bring up the fact that our reports that we've done have actually gone up on the Hill to those members. Uh, and that's led to many of the meetings that are going on right now, even with behind closed doors. It's some of our reports that we're doing because we're being open and transparent. 
and I understand that, and I and I can appreciate that. But are the politicians listening? We know the military isn't. They want to shut this subject down as soon as possible, so that way they don't have to deal with it. Yet on the flip side, we see a group like Enigma Labs who comes out of nowhere, and they're being invited to meetings uh, and and uh, private conferences by NASA and Arrow. I mean, this doesn't make sense to me. It seems like a game is being played. No, to me, it's a situation where most of the groups have the same problem, and there's a big problem with data. And I've already mentioned that to you earlier in the conversation, that data is a problem. And I work in the IT world uh, with the Army, and it's a problem for them in the same context. What? So data is like is a basic a bunch of ones and zeros. Like, you know, what do the ones and zeros mean? That's information. When you put it in context, that's information. When you take it from an information level, the next level is going to be that you're getting knowledge from that data. So if I, unless I can take the data and 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 bring it together and synthesize it from multiple pieces of equipment, by the way. If I can get those things to work cooperatively, make sure that they're all timed so that I get this one synced with this one, and I get them, they're completely collaborated, I might be able to then say, well, this caused this effect to this device that it didn't do to that device. And, and so you've got that kind of thing going on as well. But, you know, data storage and data, manip- you know, putting it into a storage kind of capability is a real critical problem. Do we have petabyte storage capabilities to be able to collect all the wonderful data that everybody's giving? No. A lot of other organizations. How do we how do we get the data passed over to us to be able to do? And how do we take the data and then have scientists be able to look at the data that are qualified to look at the data and then go deal with that data? So their data is a huge problem. It's always been a problem with the whole subject of UFOs and getting a database because there's many different data, everybody's got their own little database. They're not, not coming together and they're not allowing us to share and see one, go to one source to be able to get all of the relevant data that we need about the, the time, the duration of the sighting, uh, you know, the location, GPS, coordinates and everything else that we need to be able to have in order to be able to put together some sort of a study. And Enigma is attempting to try to tackle that. And fortunately, Enigma is getting funded to be able to go and tackle that big, ugly beast of putting all the data in one repository, allowing you then to add in machine learning and artificial intelligence that can help you to solve this phenomenon. So I personally applaud Enigma for what they're doing, and I'm glad somebody's getting it, because guess what? Even Ryan Graves' group, our group, everybody else, we don't have the money and the capability of putting together that kind of like tool to be able to help us to do that. The problem with Enigma, though, from a publicity standpoint, is they aren't announcing who their members are. Everything seems top secret on their website. Everybody expects that that has to be transparent. Everybody thinks that it has to be open and transparent. Donors have to be open and transparent. Every aspect has to be publicly viewed. I disagree with that. Well, we'll agree to disagree on that because if you want <laughs> if you want the public's trust, at least tell no, us who your investigators are. I don't want the public's trust. I want scientists to be able to go to a single source to get you know good information. And that's not the general public per se. Those are scientists to study the phenomenon. Okay? 
I don't necessarily need to have everybody out there that's not qualified in science to go out and to have field days with data that they don't even understand and can't even talk about. I understand that, and I, and I can appreciate that. Yes. However, if you're asking for my personal information or me to donate my personal information, I want to know who it's dealing with. That's the public uh, perception. Scientists. Who? Scientists like SCU, scientists like the uh, AIAA, scientists like the Galileo Project, scientists who want to be able to study the phenomena should be able to go to a single source to get that. And there's nobody out there in the entire world that's tackling that in that way. And so I come back to the fact that I'm glad somebody is dealing to, being willing to do that. In the meantime, you've got the UFO community out there, the community of religions, all wanting to poke the fingers and stop something that has actually been attempted that we need to have to happen. And so that's where I'm at. I don't, I'm, I don't, one, you know, I, I'm looking to be able to solve the phenomena in my lifetime, and I can't do it when I've got finger pointing going on and people knocking each other down in their own respective. We, sh- we need to be respectful. Oh, I, and we need and to, I agree with and you. We need to, and we need to encourage that kind of thing to happen regardless. I understand that, and I, and I appreciate that. But there are many yeah. out there, myself included, who would like some transparency. I understand that. Do you get the transparency from your government? The Canadian government I am so far. No, nah, yeah, there's, there's things that the Canadian government's not telling you either. We're working with the Canadian government I know to you help are. fix that, by the way. I know that. So who, my, who, time my, out a second. Who do you think started it? I don't know. Me. I, I, and I really don't care. To me, it's a situation where I'm glad that now the Canadian government is willing to go in and start to do this kind of thing. And I'm hoping that they'll get some transparency down the road. But I don't know, because I think that, quite frankly, they have a military and they have uh, their own things that they're holding back. No different than many other countries. 92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Raising Cane's founder, Todd Graves, is interviewing game changers to find their secrets of success. I was just trying to do something that I love and be there for my child. Secret Sauce with Todd Graves. New episodes Saturdays at 1 on A&E. It's a beautiful thing. Let's get a Christian here. I'm from Aguadilla. And I haven't been there since 2010, but in the 90s, we used to go to a military base to shop. U.S. Navy, yep. I believe, was it still there in 2013? U.S. military bases equals hot sauce. Hot sauce. I mean, hot spots. Is there a connection? <laughs> um, yeah, well, let me tackle that in a little parts and pieces so that I can, you know. So the, the thing was back there during even World War, uh, the, the World War II times, I guess, it, the, the, it was called the, the Ramey. Uh, Air, Air Force Base, and then it was converted over to basically public use over a period of time. It became the Rafael Hernandez Airport, and it does have uh, even now it's got a military radar facility on that right near the uh, uh, right near the base there. Uh, so yeah, they're they're you know going to a military base there uh, is logical, but it was 
it was converted and switched over to being public, if you would, uh, and it's no longer a, a military base. Um, U.S. Navy, I believe, was it still there in 2013? Yes, I mean, it, of course, it was there in 2013. Uh, not the military, though. Uh, there were military things there, like I'd mentioned, the radar. Uh, military bases have always been a hot spot. The military bases have got a lot of sightings around them. A military anything, uh, including our nuclear storage areas where we where we get raw materials to where we develop the, the materials to how we develop you know, them into bombs to, to the point where we actually now detonate them. They're at all of the locations nuclear. Uh, and we've got a study right now in SEU uh, that, that's actually looking and breaking into that uh, that's going to be published pretty soon, uh, our study uh, of looking at UFOs and nukes. And uh, so that, that'll be about that. In addition to that, uh, you know, you've had a lot of, a lot of military encounters with these things. Look at all the, the military encounters with uh, the Navy that they're having right now. So there's anything military seems to be getting hit by a lot of different things. And let me qualify it because I'm also aware and I work drone projects within the Army. Uh, there's a lot of these newer capabilities with drones that are out that make it very confusing for a lot of people. And drones are starting to get capabilities that make them look and act and seem like that they could be UFOs. So some of these things are potentially our adversaries that are doing some sort of surveillance on our military exercises or missions. Uh, and we're just not sure yet. But we believe that that's a possibility, which means you have to keep your mind open. All right, let's go to Tim here. What is involved with the SCU partnering with the UFO Historical Record Center and Project Hesdalen? Uh, primarily, you know, I mean, we're looking to partner with other other mutual parties that want to treat this thing scientifically. So, uh, you know, Dave Marler, who ha happens to run the uh, the Historical Record Center is a member of SCU. Uh, we're a coalition of a lot of different people. In fact, you know, uh, you're up in, uh, Dave, you're up in Canada, uh, Chris Rutkowski and, and all those people, they're all a part of SCU, right? So they're, they're members of SCU. So we're looking to, you know, definitely be with our members, you know, in some sort of a partnership arrangement. Uh, and, you know, Hestelin Erling Strand is a part of us as well. So why wouldn't we want to partner with those kind of groups? Uh, and that's primarily where we're at. We're wanting to forge a relationship like, you know, basically industry has with a lot of different players as well. Four minutes to go before we got to go to break at the bottom of the hour. Rich Hoffman from the SCU is our guest tonight. Derek is asking, what's the difference between the Tic Tac and the saucers back in the day? Just a, just a name. I mean, you know, bottom line is that the military chose to use the thing that looked like a tic-tac uh, to their object, and it's become a very popular term. We're all over the board with different terms that we talk about for the objects. I mean, they were called flying saucers, flying discs to, you know, UFOs to now UAPs, and then there's different variations on UAP, uh, that term. We just struggle with our terminology, but the bottom line is that it's, we're talking about the same type of an object that's been doing something. And, and really, when you get down to shape, uh, does shape really matter? We've got objects that are cubes 
within spheres. We got cubes that are, we have objects that are being reported that look like dumbbells. We got objects that are the size of a grapefruit. We got objects the size of an aircraft carrier. All these things are doing the same kind of maneuvers and some, you know, the same kind of capabilities are present. And so shape really doesn't matter a whole heck of a lot. All right, let's go to Grandmaster here. The Gong Show is asking, what did you learn from Army Material Command and NASA? Well, largely the the fact that there's a general disinterest uh, in the subject, that the stigma has not been, uh, you know, alleviated, I guess, if you would. Uh, A lot of them are are focused on their particular missions, like Army Material Command is is going to be heavily focused on Ukraine right now. It's going to be heavily focused on taking care of the our military soldiers uh, and giving us, you know, develop, and we're a, 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 the military industrial command, uh, if you would, that's putting together all of the uh, the ammo, the the weapon systems that are being used. And so, and so bottom line, it, that's where their focus is. And they don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about UFOs. Um, NASA is focused on a mission of putting their astronauts up in space. Uh, they're not really concerned that much about the subject of UFOs. Uh, I'm glad to see that they're doing something right now with the, the context of putting together the uh, group of people to be able to figure out, well, what kinds of data that can they collect using NASA equipment? And so once they figure that out, they may be, able, may be able to then go to the next step, which would be to actually study them and figure something out. If I was a scientist, and I'm saying this as a journalist because I brought this up many a times on the shows. We've got about one mm-hmm. minute to go. So if you want to respond, you can do that after the break. I would be pulling my hair out about NASA. I mean, they have had almost every rocket followed by something since the Gemini project. It continues today with Elon Musk even admitting that his SpaceX rockets are being followed. And in my opinion, Bill Nelson, when he brought up the topic, you know, for no reason back last summer, has made a mockery of this considering they know. They've seen it. They've got the videos. They've got the eyewitness footage from their astronauts. Why would you play dumb on the subject? Do you want me to answer that now? Well, we got 30 seconds. You could start or you could, <laughs> you could say that. But it, for me, for me, uh, you know what? We'll it's get not their re- mission. It's not their mission to understand that. And they don't really have that big of an interest in that kind of a subject. They know that there's a lot of things out there that could potentially be misinterpreted as UFOs. And so they're they're aware of that as well. But there's not a single focus on doing that. And that's not their mission. And so there you go. I mean, it's it's like... Who's going to handle it? They haven't got a group of people that are funded to be able to do any kind of study with it anyway. And on that note, we have Rich Hoffman for another 30 minutes here on Spaced Out Radio. My name is Dave Scott. We continue on talking about UFOs and the nuts and bolts behind the subject. We'll continue with audience questions right after this. Give me two seconds here, if you don't mind. I'll be right back. I'm just going to put you in the green room. Be right back, audience.
92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Raising Cane's founder, Todd Graves, is interviewing game changers to find their secrets of success. I was just trying to do something that I love and be there for my child. Secret Sauce with Todd Graves. New episodes Saturdays at 1 on A&E. that all right uh, I've got a bunch of questions here I'm not gonna uh I don't know if I'm going to get through all of them, everyone. I will try my best. Okay, I will do my best to get through all of them. We'll see where we can uh, take it. Mm. And I know the questions are still lining up. Hi, Firefly. Welcome to SOR Chat. Overbuild Automotive, good to have you here. And let's see here. Who else we got? Shadow Time Writer, Welcome. Barry Brown, good to see you. And I think we're caught up there. Yes, I cut my hair about four months ago. Four months ago now? No, there was never a man bun. There was never a man bun. Joe Ferreira, how you doing from Brazil? Good to have you here, buddy. We got about one minute, Rich. One minute. All right. A big thank you tonight to Louie, Neuro, Jenny, Amy, Kira, Jeff, Deb, Dennis, W. Decker, Tyrone, Christian, Thomas, Gizmo, Nancy H., Cat Chaser, Gizmo again, and Derek and W. Decker again. Thank you so much for that lovely super chat. Hi, my brother Eugene. How you doing, buddy? Can't wait to see you in Vegas. I hope your knee is doing better. And uh, 20 seconds, everyone. You can do some shopping at spacedoutradio.com. Get our great, great swag that we have there. We'd love to see you in it. Get a picture for us so we can put it on our site. Hi, Kim Jellen. Nice to see you. 
And here we go, everyone. We pass the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot. Read up on the Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight on the mighty SOR. Rich Hoffman from the Scientific Coalition of UAP Studies is here tonight, and we're going to continue with audience questions here. Juliana is wondering... Actually, right before the break, I had asked you, I should remember this, I asked you a question regarding, oh, now my mind's gone blank. Oh, my goodness. Oh, what am I going to, what was I asking you, Rich? Uh, well, we, I, we were kind of talking about, you know, the, the, the need for trans, well, I mean, somebody just brought up transparency. That was <laughs> catching my brain. I was focusing on that. Uh, Let's just move I, I don't on. know. Let's just move on. <laughs> I've lost the all right. I lost the bubble on it. All right. We'll 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 get it in the archives. I'll try and figure that one out. And <laughs> Juliana is asking, who and what treaties were made in exchange for us? Now, there's a lot of people believe that there have been deals. I know that's a little bit more woo than you're used to, but have you ever heard of anything in between with contact? Well, there's always the 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 rumor to the effect that that eisenhower had a meeting with him um but again it's one of those things where it becomes like even a paper chase or you're trying to check it out and you can't find anything that can give you any evidence that that actually happened uh, you know and so you know you really don't know and it, it would be a situation where for example that uh you know, we're, we're hoping that, by the way, that if we could have somebody that it would solve a lot of our problems if we could just get them to land on, you know, like, in the, you know, land on the White House lawn and maybe do something, you know, with that, you know, but you, you don't have that exchange. And so consequently, you, you really don't know what you're dealing with. And if there was an occasion for that, it would be so highly buried within the the uh, the, the classified world that you'd only a few people would probably know about it. Uh, and that's not going to come out with the general public because apparently they don't want it to come out. Um, there are reasons for security uh, and national security to keep things from the public. And I want to bring that up in the context of the individual who was talking about, you know, the, the fact that we're, you know, not being transparent to the taxpayers. Well, for the most part, we are transparent, but then again, you have, you live in the, and work in this world called national security interests, and your life is on the line, your job and your career is on the line, and you know that there are things that you just can't talk about that are going on. And, you know, you're also aware of the fact that every day there's at least thousands of attempts at 
attempting to break into your IT systems that want to get your data from all of our adversaries that are going on because they want that information for themselves. Uh, and, and you know that they're out there also in the, in the public world, even in the United States. We have adversaries that are within the United States that are trying to collect data. So you, you, then you're trying to protect that data and you're not able to give everything over to the American public or the Canadian public or whatever that you'd like to be able to give uh, because of those kind of justifications that could potentially do harm to us. Uh, we, I'm working on one project where we, we are actually going to military bases and putting drone killers in place. And the drones will be knocked out of the skies uh, you know, uh, at our military bases, because we know that there's attempts to be able to collect information uh, on an intelligence capacity by other adversaries around our installations. All right, let's continue on with another question here for you. Amy is asking, what are your thoughts on USOs? They're, they're no different than the objects that are up in the air. I mean, it's we're talking about transmedium objects, that are able to be in space one minute, the next minute that could be down in, uh, in the, in the atmosphere, uh, you know, around us, you know, chasing a plane or something like that. And then it can go and it can maneuver with the same efficiency and speed underwater. And we have a USO study in SU that's also going on to see if we can determine where these things are most, uh, located, uh, you know, and going back to Puerto Rico, there's quite a number of them in Puerto Rico and, off uh, the Catalina Island, and they seem to be around water a lot. Uh, and so if you look at that in the context of the reports, you find out that there's not only a relationship with nukes, but there's also a relationship with water. And uh, there are a lot of cases that that, that are uh, objects that are coming in, out, going into the water, coming out of the water. Uh, they're also being seen by nuclear subs or sub training sessions that, that see these objects. They call them uh, that are moving uh, at incredible rates of speed underwater, and uh, you know, so they're the same. They're the same objects with the capacity of doing all three of those things. And I'll just bring up that when we develop something in our time frame, if you would, we develop subs and sh things that be underwater with certain kinds of propulsion systems, right? And you don't take and expect that a sub's going to be able to fly because we build things to be able up in that environment. And we build things to be up in space. But these objects are doing the same shape, doing all three. So it's clearly not from anything here or, uh, you know, or, or it's the time travel thing that I talked about earlier. It, it's beyond us how they're doing that. All right, let's continue on here. Doubleday is asking, have you ever received a report that was too sensitive to be disclosed to the public? Well, let me, let me clarify. Okay, I work in the DOD. I work in the IT world. So I'm not getting cases given to me from, you know, that are, that are in that world, if you would. I'm not taking government reports from anybody and dealing with that. Lou Elizondo, of course, was working there, and there are things that he can't talk about, and we're good friends, but he can't share with me because, you know, uh, even I don't have the right to know, uh, if you would, the need to know. So there are things that are being kept that, that he can't share, and he won't talk about because it's classified, right? It's classified uh, at a high level or something of that nature. So, 
you know, yes, there, there are, do I believe that that's the case? Yes, there are many classified reports of UFOs. There was the same thing in even Project Blue Book days. You had a classified version of Project Blue Book, which the general public has never even seen those reports. All right, let's go over to Dave from Kamloops, British Columbia, just south of me. And you mentioned the Canadian government earlier. What have you aided yes. the Canadian government in on reports? Uh, no, we haven't actually. I mean, let me put it to you this way. We have investigated cases that we've got that were from the Canadian side of the house. And again, at SCU, we've got Chris Rutkowski, who is you know, doing the UFO Canadian report for Canada. So he's getting a lot of those things. And we're looking to be able to share with him. Uh, we are currently working with the, the, the government uh, in terms of trying to give them some sort of like, a, you know, our expertise, if you would, or understanding about the phenomena from a lot of us who have been spending our lives studying it. And so we are having conversations with them. And we are also working with students that are uh, basically doing studies up there and they're helping us to do studies. So we're, we are working cooperatively with the Canadian government. We, we hope that uh, we'll always be partners on that, on the subject. What do you think about the Canadian government doing this on more what seems to be a scientific approach through Dr. Niemer, uh, Canada's head scientist, you know, g- gathering all the information under one roof from all of the alphabet groups from the DND to Transport Canada, NAV Canada. Is that the way it should be done? Is this, is this something that we're not seeing in the United States? I think what you're looking at is a potential across all aspects of the, 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 the government, if you would, to come together to be able to talk about them, report them. Uh, and if you take a look at the, the National Defense Authorization Act, the key word there is the word defense. Then, you know, they were pushing that through the that side of the house for the longest period of time and expecting the defense industry and the intelligence people to work cooperatively together to do that. But guess what? NASA is not part of that equation. NOAA is not part of the equation. The, uh, you know, atmospheric people that study weather and stuff like that. So they don't have to play. And so it wasn't, I mean, so consequently, all you had this, this group called Aero, the all domain uh, anomaly research organization that was set up that was within the DOD world, right? That's expecting that the Navy, the Air Force and everybody, all these people are going to be that are in the DOD world are going to be doing that. That's Title 10 group people. Then you have the Title 50 people that are the intelligence side, getting them to work together. Uh, but again, you're not getting the total government. And like you talked about, the, the transportation group or the people and everybody else, that they're not all playing in on the same equation in the United States. So I think that what we're trying to encourage the Canadians to do is to not replicate the same problem, but we need to be able to get a total government engaged in this to be able to report and to share information. Uh, and so we're hoping that that's going to happen. I have one more question about that because the Department of National Defense has come out in Canada stating that UFOs are not a threat in Canadian airspace. Yet mm-hmm. we're not hearing that in the United States. And mm-hmm. we all know it's pretty obvious, you know, any any type of military threat narrative gets a budget down in the U.S. or pretty close to it. What do you think when the neighbors to the north are saying or their military is saying there is no threat and yet in your country they are saying there is a threat? 
Yeah, a lot of people wait for the United States as a lead in this whole subject. I dealt with that even in, uh, you know, the group over and when I was over in Italy, you know, they, they, they don't get engaged because they're waiting to see what the United States is going to do with it. They, they're letting them spend their money to figure that out. Right. And they don't see it as a threat because they haven't probably been spending their time really like looking at it and getting the reports and really evaluating the reports. If you look at statistics throughout the history of the subject in even Project Blue Book days, you could generally explain about 80% or 70 to 80% of the cases as being, you know, uh, misidentifications. Why wouldn't, if I were the Canadian government or the other governments are doing this, why wouldn't you have the same kind of uh, statistics where you're saying that, well, a certain number of them that we've identified or the certain ones we didn't identify, we couldn't identify. We're telling you that that's uh, that's pretty ridiculous because every study that's ever been done on anything in the United States has always had a percentage of like maybe 10 to 20 percent that remain unknown. And so that to me tells me that either they've got a very small data set that they're working with or they're not getting all of the reports or they're not doing their statistics right. All right, let's continue on. Let's go over to Derek here. Why was Ronald Reagan then so open to studying the UFO phenomena? Well, I think that, you know, I mean, various politicians have all been open, you know, uh, and it's a it's not just Ronald Reagan, but you had Jimmy Carter claiming that he actually saw one. And he mentioned that in his, you know, even in his campaign speech, you know, and I think that he'd still like to see that. You also had Bill Clinton who was asking about them. You have, uh, you know, uh, other presidents and stuff like that who are also very interested. So it's not just Ronald Reagan. I think Ronald Reagan was, uh, uh, if I remember correctly, I think he also saw something. So a lot of the people that see something want to know about it. And they are open to asking and, and wanting to find out about it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Do you see more presidents coming out? Or as the story gets more popular, do you see them clamming up on the subject? Because we really haven't heard Biden or Trump or Bush before them, or Obama, well, Obama talked about it, but uh, we haven't really seen three of the last four presidents really delve into this subject deep, deeply. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, it. you know, if you understand what the, the, the stress that they're under as a president and trying to deal with all of the stuff that's going on in the world right now, uh, they they're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this subject and they get, you know, like the presidents get daily briefs that that tells you what you know that's going on. And the document that they get is relatively large. It would it'd be huge. And they don't read it. And they certainly don't have the time to be able to read it. And yet it may have contained information about UAP or UFO phenomena that they just missed, didn't get. And so it's not been brought up. But there are so many other priorities in the world that they're focused on, and uh, that's where they put their attention. Daniel is asking, have any unidentified aerial phenomena emitted radiation within the gigahertz bandwidth gaps that appears on science frequency or lists? Um, I, I would tell you that we haven't got a whole lot of EM data to work with. Uh, and that, again, is going back to the fact that we're not getting good collection means and we don't have data sharing. So consequently, 
do you know anything at all about all the objects in terms of things that are being seen emitting electromagnetic frequencies like radio or whatever like that that gives us any information? And the answer is no. Uh, if you look at the Nimitz case, which is rather in incredible case, all we got was video evidence. We got the, the testimony. We got somebody telling us that the, the radar was being impacted. And we've also, uh, you know, told, we're told that, that the aircraft that actually took the video of the object, which we also analyzed, by the way, uh, also had some sort of like EM effect with, with it that, that tells us maybe that particular, uh, you know, maybe frequency is, is being impacted. But if you look at the Skinwalker Ranch, for example, and some of the things that are going on at the Skinwalker Ranch, and I've been out there, uh, and I talk with Travis, who lives in, the, in Huntsville, you know, they're picking up multi, multi parts of the spectrum, giving all kinds of electromagnetic, it's name the frequency, and it's all being impacted. So I, to your point, I don't think that we've really done enough to study the emitted radiation that's going on and knowing whether or not it fills into these gaps or not you're talking about. That's an excellent question. All right, let's continue on here. Let's go to Tim. Are there many reports of craft simply vanishing? Yeah, you've had, if you look back through the history, you, you'll find out that there's been like objects that, for example, that were seen by uh, commercial aircraft uh, and the passengers aboard the aircraft. And, you know, uh, there was one, I think it was a French case that was like that, where uh, they watched as the object just kind of like just became invisible. And then if you take a look at, at the, uh, the case in uh, Alaska, the uh, Alaskan uh, case uh, of, of the that particular case, uh, I think it was night, was it? 86 I, I can't remember the year now but the uh that particular case had the uh, uh basically an object the size of a an aircraft carrier that just uh, appeared out of nowhere and it equally disappeared uh out of nowhere and so you have objects like that and we don't know if there's a space time kind of like an effect that's going on there whether it manipulates space time 92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Raising Cane's founder, Todd Graves, is interviewing game changers to find their secrets of success. I was just trying to do something that I love and be there for my child. Secret Sauce with Todd Graves. New episodes Saturdays at 1 on A&E. Whether it's a cloaking device, if you would, that was turned on and off, uh, or whether it was just so instantaneous in terms of its speed and the departure that the human eye or whatever could not to see it and it looked like it vanished. And because these things have instantaneous acceleration in any direction uh, that they want at, at above hypersonic speeds. Wow, that is amazing. I want to ask you this before we get to another question here regarding uh, crash retrievals, because there's a lot of talk that 
there are crash retrievals. Where's the evidence? If there are, are they holding on to them? Is this secret talk? Have you ever been informed about crash retrievals and whether or not the United States government or scientists that you have worked with have worked on these craft? So I worked with Len Stringfield, who put together like six monographs that, that dealt with the reports he was looking at back in the 70s. You know, Len and I were good friends, and, and he was doing crash retrieval cases. And I think that he had put down at least, he documented something like close to 200 cases worldwide of alleged crashes that took place. Uh, and so it's within reason that there maybe has been uh, some sort of material that's been collected or a crash that may have happened. I don't know why a crash would happen. I don't, I'm, I'm struggling with the idea that if they were you know, manipulating space and time, whether they would have a problem, they would just change the time frame and then fix the problem and not, not have a, a crash. But nevertheless, you know, you have like the Kingman, you have Roswell, uh, you have uh, a whole number of other cases, including the one that was recently written by Jacques Vallée on the Trinity case, where they're claiming that crashes took place and materials were retrieved. Well, you know, if, if there's any legitimacy, and, and if you take a look at Roswell, uh, you know, there was an aircraft that, that flew debris, allegedly, from Fort Worth up to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Uh, now it was Wright Field at the time. And I talked with the people there because I was living there, uh, and they had all had stories about the fact that they received that type of stuff. And then also let me point out to the fact that, that the military – has like foreign technology division and down here where I work at, uh, there's the missile space intelligence center. Uh, these are collecting points for foreign debris. You bring them to, and then they reverse engineer them and work with them and try to figure out how they're built and what they can do with it. Right. And that's what their purpose is. They're, they're engineers who will break it apart. And then scientists who will try to figure out the materials and how it was put together so that they can do something with it and use it for them, for their own benefit. So, yes, I mean, uh, that's the nature of what military does. They're going to figure out how SCUDs work. They're going to figure out how uh, these other kinds of like technologies that other our enemies are using. They're going to try to tear it apart, put it together. So is it logical that they would do that with the craft? Yes, extremely. And there's plenty of people that, that, that come forward with a testimony that tells you that they did that. And so I believe that that's legit. And if that's the case, then it's probably buried within the the uh, some the industry defense industry partner that is got the capability to be able to do the proper study and to keep the government clean by not sharing well only sharing it with certain people in the government to keep it so that they can have uh, appropriate denial. Ninety seconds left. Let's get to Landis's yeah. question. Have you reached out to any independent civilians for data? Independent civilians. Uh, well, say like, you know, I'm, I guess what we're like, if we find a, a UFO investigator somewhere that's doing something. Like, like Chris that, Rakowski you know, would be an independent investigator, right? Or well, Peter yeah, Davenport. Yeah. I mean, obviously we've reached out to them. We're all being able to try to see if we can, you know, get data so we can study it. Right. And so, uh, you know, it's hard to when you're like doing like uh, a check on nuclear cases and you don't have any data to work with, like where were they cited? Is there, is there any reports that you can go to? 
And the problem is if there's no reports and there's no any information you got, then how are you going to study that? So, yeah, we would like to be able to reach out. And we, we've talked with other people. We talked to as many people as possible to be able to get them to share data. And that would help science advance. Rich, I, we got 30 seconds. I want to say a big thank you to you coming in and talking about the nuts and bolts of ufology today. And, and it's really been an eye-opener for me in a lot of ways. And I appreciate you taking the time and continued success with your hard work. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate you uh, allowing me to have the time to be able to come on. And I thank your group for the excellent questions that they've provided me here so far. So hopefully we'll uh, all be able to learn something in the future. Coming up next, we are going to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller will take us on another spooky journey to kick off hour number three. Then, right after that, we are going to go to the UFO report. Tim Senor returns as we deep, 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 deep go in to the UFO stories of the day. Spaced Out Radio's hour number three continues right after this. Stick around. We got... Lots more news coming on up on Space Now Radio. Here we go. Thank you, Rich. Appreciate that. No problem, Dave. Thank you again. I appreciate it. Take care. Yep. Bye-bye. Out here. All right. I'm going to step away for a minute here, and uh, you guys can look around and see if my chair moves. Be right back.
Does anybody move my chair? Does anybody move my chair? I want to remind everybody who has emailed in for Vegas. I think we're having troubles with our email getting through to Google email or Gmail customers. Okay, because I know Cat has put out uh, emails to you regarding uh, VIP tickets, which are on sale until April 1st for our second annual Vegas party. Okay, do me a favor. If you haven't heard from Kat yet, email her at info at spacedoutradio.com. Info at spacedoutradio.com. I'm going to sneeze here. Hold on. Oh, gazuntite. Sorry about that. Um, Yeah, something weird about that. Uh, and I'm probably going to have to check in with our email server and wonder why that is happening. So uh, I do apologize about that. Uh, Louie, Neuro, Jenny, Amy, Kira, Jeff, Deb, Dennis, W. Decker, Ty- times two, Tyrone, Christian, uh, Thomas, Gizmo, times two, Nancy H., Cat Chaser, Derek, Amy again, two and Steppenwolf thank you so much for the super chats tonight very much appreciate the love and support that you guys give Spaced Out Radio on a nightly basis so thank you so so much also a reminder to all of you that if you want some really cool swag go to spacedoutradio.com we have a great great store there with some fantastic swag we'd love to see you all in our gear taking pictures and let's do this here comes the third hour you like to connect with us head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info now back to dave scott and sor third and final hour of spaced out radio is now underway good to have you with us my name is dave scott very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Redhibition. Redhibition is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again for us to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. I always dreamed of going on a fishing trip to the Florida Keys, so I jumped at the chance and my buddies invited me to join them on a weekend trip. We arrived at our rented house on the water's edge on a Friday's evening, and ready to spend the next two days catching some big fish, we were all very amped. The house was a charming old beachfront cottage 
with peeling blue paint and a wraparound porch that faced the water. They had three small bedrooms, a cozy living room, and a fully equipped kitchen. We were absolutely thrilled to find that we had a dock in the backyard with a small motorboat tied to it, which was perfect for our fishing trip. The first day went by smoothly. We woke up early and headed out to the ocean with our gear, and within just a few hours we caught some decent-sized fish. We decided to head back to the house to cook our catch and rest up for another day on the water. That night, things began to feel odd. Sitting around the campfire, we heard strange noises from the nearby woods. Something was moving around there, but we couldn't see anything with the darkness. We shrugged it off as just some local wildlife or fauna and went to bed. We woke up early the following day and returned to the water. This time, however, things felt different. It was hard to put my finger on it. The water was choppier, the sky was overcast, and the eerie silence hung over everything. It was like the world was holding its breath. As we started to fish, I noticed the water was murky and dark, almost like it was hiding something that it didn't want to show. But we kept at it, hoping to catch something big. That's when everything started to go terribly wrong. My friend Jack suddenly yanked on his fishing line and we all rushed over to see what he had caught. But when we looked closer, we noticed it wasn't a fish at all. It, it was a human hand. Now, of course, we were all horrified. We had no idea what the heck to do. We quickly pulled into the line, hoping that it was just a fluke, but as we continued to fish, we kept pulling up more and more human remains. Bones, limbs, even a skull. We knew we had to get out of there and bring this to the police ASAP, but as we tried to start the engine and get away, of course, in a cliche manner, it wouldn't freaking start. We were trapped on the boat with this gruesome discovery and there was no way out. That's when we saw a figure moving through the water towards us. It was a man, but he was covered in seaweed and algae, and his eyes were cold and dead. He started to climb up onto the boat, and we all stumbled back in terror. We fought back as best as we could, honestly we did. We used any fishing rods, anything we could to poke and prod this man to get him off, but he was relentless. His movements were jerky and unnatural. He started to lunge at us, trying to bite us with his sharp, broken teeth, and then we realized this was no man at all. He was some sort of creature from the deep. We tried to reason with it, to plead with it to let us go, but it was too late. The creature was upon us, trying to tear at our flesh with whatever claws and teeth it had. It was like a nightmare come to life, a creature straight out of a movie, like the creature from the Black Lagoon. I don't know how we all survived that day. I don't know how we made it back to shore. But luckily, one of us finally got the boat moving. We were able to use the momentum of the boat jerking and everything we had to push to knock it out into the water. We started hauling ass and did everything we could to save our lives. We did some digging after we got to shore and tied up the boat. We locked all the doors, of course, all the windows, made sure nothing could get in after we, you know, experienced whatever the heck we experienced, and we did see that there had been a series of disappearances in the area and that a creature had been encountered by many, many people. But the memory never fades from me. I'll never forget that thing. A lot of people think that this monster is some sort of local urban legend, but I know it's real. I don't know if people will believe me, and I don't really care. I know what I experienced. Well, thank you, Mr. Swamp Dweller, for another spooky story coming in to Spaced Out Radio tonight. Swamp Dweller kicks off hour number three of Spaced Out Radio each and every night, Monday through Friday. We love the swampy around here. And, of course, you can hear his stories 
by going to youtube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads. He's got thousands of them there, just like that, for you for free. From the swamp to the stars, it is time once again for us to head on out for the UFO report. Here's Tim Senor. Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. Tim, it's always good to have you on Spaced Out Radio, so thank you so much for joining us again. we got a ton of stories to go through this evening because, for some reason, the last 48 hours has been quite hot with UFO worlds. And we're going to start off with SpaceX because, really, I think we're the, one of the only ones who's been following the fact that just a short while ago, Elon Musk came out and stated very, very quietly, and it didn't seem like anybody really caught on, that his rockets were being followed by anomalous objects. And now there's a story about it uh, on Twitter. Tell me about it. That's right. And Jaime Mausan, believe it or not, is the person that's brought it to light. Um, caught on camera, mysterious close encounter, unidentified object, flies past the SpaceX rocket. And within the NASA video that was released, we see just as they're ejecting a pod via the orbiter, just as that release takes place, we see coming into view what looks to appear to be a spiraling piece of debris, question mark, or a spinning object of some sort that passes just feet away from the orbiter as it is uh, ejecting a pod from it. And this piece of uh, footage is incredible. I don't know if you have it up there to cue for our no, audience that's no, watching, but it is absolutely breathtaking. Um, it's undeniable that there are definitely things flying within the space that could be considered uh, possibly a problem for NASA and also the SpaceX rockets. Um, it also appears that this pod was ejected just moments before this piece of debris or this object uh, would have possibly collided with the pod. So just perfect timing, per perhaps, but definitely UFO of some sort caught on. 92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits. Take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial for when you want your front lawn to feel more like a welcome mat the new Kubota z200 is built to cut like a pro to cut quickly to turn on a dime to control with effortless precision and it's built to get the job done right fast cut Kubota quality affordable price the new Kubota z200 visit your local Kubota dealer today Lee Tractor Company of Mississippi, Mississippi's elite Kubota dealer, on the web at leetractor.net. Camera quite clearly. You know, we, we see a lot of these 
these objects up there, okay? We we can't call everything a UFO, but on the flip side, we do know there is logically a lot of space junk up there, and we're doing nothing to clean that up from satellites that have burnt on out to blown up to, uh, you know, and we're talking pieces that could be absolutely huge, or we're talking pieces that could be the size of a penny or less. So, I mean, it's very interesting I tend to believe Elon Musk on this one. I tend to believe that he is, uh, or Jaime Mosan, who, who you know, we, I, I, he he has such a suspicious track record. He really does. But I mean, the idea behind it with Elon Musk stating that there is something always going on, you know, I mean, something that small that flies between, I don't know, that looks like space junk to me. Okay, that doesn't look like a UFO. Um, I don't know. I don't know. We do know that Elon Musk has come out stating that there are objects following his rockets. That's what I would go on. Uh, That looks like space junk to me after just seeing the, the video for the first time. And... I'm just going to say it, okay? I'm just going to say it. Jaime Mosan, yes, you have a, a long-time record in, in, as being a ufologist and a reporter, a re- really respected reporter in, in Mexico, but how do you put that crap up as a UFO? Honestly, it flies right between the rocket and the, and the space station. I mean, the thing is maybe the size of a $5 bill, and you're calling it a UFO? This is what makes us look stupid in this field. This is why scientists don't want us talking about it. That's why they think we're a hindrance to the adaptation of the future of this. Okay, look at it. It goes right right by. It goes right in front. Okay. There it goes. It goes right in between the rocket and the space station. That's garbage. That's what it is. It's not a UFO. Well, consider that the headline uh, was Mysterious Close Encounter. And then... Headline says Mysterious UFO. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, it's not a Jaime Mosan moment. That's That's a news reporting moment, him just passing it on. But, um... By no means do I... But you have to be... You know, Tim, you have to... Okay, you're just new to the journalism game by doing what you're doing here on on the UFO report. And and by God, man, yes. you've done an incredible job. You really have. Thank you. Okay, you vet your sources, you vet your stories that you bring to our audience because you want our audience to be able to get high-quality information. This is a, a journalist who's been doing the job for 50 years plus. 50 plus years and you're going to put a piece of space junk and title it as a UFO. This is what makes us look bad around the world. This tinfoil hat crap that none of us deserve. We are trying to bring legitimacy, not only to, you know, you're more science. I'm more woo. Okay. You want more nuts and bolts. I want more people allowed to talk about their stories freely about what they've experienced. And somewhere in between, there's going to be a collaboration of the two. 
But when you see crap like this from somebody who is seasoned, my question is, is it time for Jaime to get new glasses? Because he should be embarrassed to tweet that out. Embarrassed. It's not a UFO. Right. And the fact that it is being called a UFO just goes to show us that they're attempting to blur those lines between UFO, UAP, getting financing and attention. Now what? Are we going to have the Space Force brought in on this because potentially there's UFOs getting involved in space now? No, of course. Where the hell else are they coming from? Right? No, but what I'm saying, though, Tim, is we know there's a ton of space junk up there. We have, we as a UFO community have to do better, okay? We have really tried hard. This community has tried really hard over the last number of years to get rid of those CGI garbage videos, okay, that, that certain U, uh, YouTube channels have put up claiming, wow, look at this one. And you can tell that somebody has created this. Or remember a couple of years ago, there was all of these these real fake CGI about about uh, you know these these cities floating uh, on the clouds or or these giant UFOs, you know. And the, and the caption was always you know share this before the government takes it down, right? Right. And it- well, here's something though. Let me just flip the coin for one moment. This was a great piece of imagery and you were able to determine in your opinion that this was a piece of space debris and an object that shouldn't be considered ufo like as in alien and i'm not even gonna go there with you because i totally agree but at the same rate we have to consider that this is the tool that we've seen used for decades and the fact is this is a good piece of video that you were able to determine that There have been decades and decades of scrutiny over pieces of video that have been filmed by our astronauts. Let's even say some people say it's frozen ice crystals and they're moving out in space because of uh, an ejector or something. And so now the ice crystals shoot off and people still think that that's potentially E.T. craft shooting off. But we didn't have HD 4K, right? So we weren't able to determine it. My point is simply that you're determining that that was not alien and UFO 20 years ago with lesser grade uh, film may still be like, you may be blown away by that. And the fact that it came from NASA itself would be stellar to you. But the fact is we have the ability to scrutinize information like this now on a much higher level. And so I love that that's the way you're thinking, but let's also consider that this is a multi-generational thing, you know, phenomenon. So we're given evidence on different levels and we have to all be able to interpret it based on what we're looking at. And um, I believe the Tic Tacs are more UFO than this thing. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. But this is also something that was a near miss for a SpaceX rocket, which is a whole nother story. That could have done damage. I feel... It could have done damage. Yeah. But here's the thing. I mean, if that is a UFO, Jaime Musan, what, let's go the metric system because Mexico's on metric. We're on metric. Those aliens got to be at least three millimeters tall, which is about, right. which is about yay big. Yay big. That's it. Right. Okay. Yeah. And they're in a death roll. <laughs> like, 
Indeed. This is, look, I want the proof. I like the proof, okay? This is, when I see videos like this, this is why I believe people, okay? Yes, anecdotal stories, uh, the mind is not perfect, okay? The mind is not perfect, but this is why I believe people over people trying to promote things like this for their own benefit. This is why I will take your story or anybody in our chat room story at face value because you could tell when someone's being honest. And even if they only remember 80% of what went right, that's pretty incredible. This is why I love people's stories. Okay, and yes, the scientific community throws them on out. Okay, throws them to the garbage. But those people have had something happen to them. And when I see somebody like Jaime Musan who is promoting this as a UFO, uh, that stings me. Stings me. I get it. Now I get it. Now I see your point. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. look, there's good videos out there. There's good photographs out there. There really is. Okay. A lot of people didn't like Sean Cahill's video that was released. I liked it because I also know the backstory. Take Sean Cahill's video over this one. So you feel that um, one person's opinion of something mundane should vet out like, if I think I'm looking at something in the sky and I'm like, ah, I think it's a balloon, so I'm not going to share this, but, oh, this one's interesting, I'll share that. Do you think that I should be, or Jaime in this case, should be the filter between the person that's bringing them the potential balloon video that we considered him having historically, or should he just, re- you know, should he filter it out or not? I think that's a tough call. I think he chose not to, and he just presented everything. He said, yes, some of this could be balloons. Um, and we see that kind of journalism in a lot of uh, places in media today. And it's not wrong. It's just different, right? I think you, I think if, if you look at it from a journalistic standpoint, not a personal one, a journalistic standpoint, you have to be careful with what you put out there. Okay? You have to discern what is going on. Now, somebody like Jaime Musan may not run his own Twitter account. Okay. He may, he, he may not. A lot of people, a lot, most journalists do, but when you're somebody who is aged like him, not saying that he doesn't know how to use Twitter, but when you're as popular in Mexico as Jaime Musan is, and he's done great work over the years on various subjects, not just UFOs, okay, he may have somebody from his newsroom or an assistant who runs his Twitter account. Now, that Definitely. being said, something like this, you have to be able to be careful from a journalistic point of view. You have to be able to be careful on what you put out there because there are thousands of people, whether they follow you on Twitter or not, who over the years have brought made you, in their mind, a voice of reason. Okay? It's the Walter Cronkite system. When you talk about journalists of the day, who's the first one you mention? Walter Cronkite. Okay, telling the stories, right? Up here, you know, up here, it's the same thing, right? I think of the old guys, Lloyd Robertson and Harvey Kirk on CTV News. Okay, back when journalism was actually journalism. But you have to be careful. 
And that's the type of stuff, that's exactly the type of stuff right there that makes us in the UFO world look silly. Right, but at the same rate, these are the people that historically got UFOs in the forefront. Yes, it may have been tabloid at first, but at some point it has circled into a reality. The same way consciousness in the UFO world is now trickling in. You know, that truth was seeded somewhere in there. And there were, you know, even if Jaime presented only one a year that was real, I think that's still awesome because that's still reporting on what's going on in that world, you know, on that topic. So it was probably tricky for the early people to report on that. Um, Linda Moulton, how Linda Moulton, how, and how I think is her last name is one to be included in that or any of the early people that reported on this topic were probably fed a lot of disinformation, wrong information, tracking down the truth, whereas it's a little different now with social media and things were able to vet people very easily with a few clicks, vet, uh, you know, the truth, a location, we can get satellite imagery if we want, whereas those tools weren't necessarily accessible to some of the early reporters on this. So, it must have been a much bigger task that I'm sure it's hard for me personally to even wrap my head around. So I respect the people that came in on this decades before me. Um, and so I still think Jaime's awesome personally, and I got to meet him and I think he's great. On that note, we are going to continue on here on the UFO report with Tim Senor. Tonight on Spaced Out Radio, it's always a good segment. To, Tim brings us up on the news. We're going to head across the pond as the UK seems to be moving towards taking UFO stories and sightings quite seriously. Finally, they've denied it for years. But what's up next in the United Kingdom and UFOs? Spaced Out Radio continues right after this. YJ, call me stubborn again. Do it. Honestly, not in the mood tonight. Not in the mood tonight. Such a great show tonight. So much fun. Your chat is a blast, by the way. I don't have it open, but I was I was in there earlier. You guys are a lot of fun. Yeah. The thing was the size of a frickin' quarter. It's not going to be a UFO. Okay? It's not going to be a, a UFO. Call, was it close? Man. Yeah. It was almost like it was orchestrated. If it had been if they had ejected just a second later, it could have potentially impacted, which is nuts. And so this was captured on NASA TV. I'm uh, flip it up there again while people are. I'm done with the chat room tonight. Yeah, that thing is nuts looking. 
It looks like a frisbee that had gone off kilter. Oh, that's a UFO. There's many aliens on there. (laughs) Pint size alien. Well, I mean, can you imagine knowing that there was a near miss like that and being an astronaut on there? Some brave people on board. You can almost see like stickers on there with like a little red flag. Hmm. I mean, if you want to trust Jaime Musan, let's talk about the fake aliens that he was talking about down in where, uh, whatchamacallit. Uh, and okay. Yeah. And, and a bunch of fake UFO stories that he's put out. And Gary Nolan got a hold of that and tested it. Didn't he? Isn't that the one? With uh, Dr. Greer. Dr. Greer had it as well at some point. The little mini alien. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those those weren't aliens. No, of course not. Do you think, though, guys like that brought the UFO topic to the mainstream? Oh. Even uh, if it... Even if it was sensational? Absolutely. Via sensationalism, of course. Do you think it's possible for someone that has a sensationalistic background to switch over and start producing? And do you think that there's any people that do that? Like, I don't know. It's too tough to say. I'm I'm too arrogant and pompous to know that. Well, we're we're on the woo train. We can we can talk about anything on this on this radio show. It's great. We have the flexibility. Vegas is going to be a blast. Let's see. What do we got here? We are just, it's like a month, a month and a day, two months, two months. Okay. It's May. All right, we got about 30 seconds. Sweet. Do we have RG jumping in tonight? I haven't heard from him, so I would assume not. He's on a roll right now. Oh, cool. Hope he wins a lot. Here we go.
We rounded third. We're heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. I want to remind you that if you missed most of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do me the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with our good friend Tim Senor and the UFO report that is going on tonight. And finally, after months of debate, years of debate, where they said they're not getting into it, looks like the United Kingdom is now going to be investigating UFOs. What's going on here, Tim? That's right, and a great new report coming from Oxford.co.uk. This great article from Miranda Norris goes into the, according to the organization of UFO Identified, which gathered data from local and national media, as well as FOIAs, a total of 497 UFO sightings have been reported across England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland in 2022. So in comparison, there were... 92% of households that joined Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at one peloton.com slash home dash trial raising canes founder todd graves is an american success story look at where we came from and look what we do and i'm just a braca and cashier so he's tracking down game changers and visionaries to find out how they made it to the top i was just trying to do something that i love and be there for my child i got my first job at 15 years old my mom didn't have enough money for homecoming join him on his journey to find that <laughs> secret sauce with todd graves new episodes saturdays at one on A and E. 465 sightings in 2020 and 413 in 2021, which means that people saw more unexplained phenomena last year than they previously had. And so, in fact, there has been an increase in sightings all across countries, with the exception of Northern Ireland. And so UFO expert Michael Soper of Marston, Oxford, a member of the Contact International UFO Research Group, said it was due to a change in the status of UFO reports. And he said in a quote, for a long time, they were reported as unknown. But now the U.S. military and our own military are taking it more seriously. And reports are now coming from military observers. And Mr. Soper said the technological advances, which mean radar, are operating at different parameters. We're also responsible for the increase in reporting. So in his quote, he says, now we're getting objects reported on several different types of radar, land, sea, and aviation. And he added that the public are now not ashamed to report them. They have been serious reports in The Guardian and The Times and always in The Daily Star. 
in the past, it was a chuckle and land, but in fact, it's really quite serious. And Mr. Soper said that when Chinese balloons were first spotted over the U.S. recently, the objects were breaching radar. And so they do say the extraterrestrial hypothesis was not ruled out. Pretty interesting information. Great to see that there's some new interest coming from this part of Europe. Dave, what's your first thoughts on some of this new information coming from the UK and the interest from the Ministry of the Defense? Well, my first inclination is I'm wondering, obviously, there's had to be some conversations between the United States military or government and the United Kingdom. And let's face it, they're both part of the five eyes. They're both part of NATO. Okay. Uh, the, the British are, are the best allies to the United States militarily. Okay. There's a lot to share in. And maybe just maybe after all the news that has been hitting up on the uh, United States front, that it obviously caught the attention of many politicians within the defense community or who have an interest in the defense community of the United Kingdom to maybe take a look at what really is going on on this side of the pond. So I'm wondering what effect that actually had on this story and having the U.K., come out and talk about it because it wasn't that long ago maybe the last year or two years where uh the the subject of ufos actually uh made the house of lords in the uk where the governing party basically said no we're not talking about it we're not wasting time talking about this ufo subject we don't need to get into that we have more important things to deal with and yet now here we are so what changed that's the big one well, what changed well, I believe that there's actually uh, an annual log of UFO sightings that is produced by the Ministry of Defense, and they've been doing that since 2009, and I believe that they're about due for their annual log to be released. And so we've seen some of the results from previous years. We're going to get some trending new information for the beginning of this year. And so I think perhaps that's some current interest, but I definitely believe that, like you're saying, they are in talks with the United States and perhaps other, other countries um, about their involvement in the research that they're doing into the airspace above their countries. And perhaps that's the interest. And so they're starting to compare notes. And with the increase of interest, we're probably also seeing the fact that they are doing more research. Well, I mean, it's about time. They have their own cases that they still need to talk about, like Rendlesham and many others. Right? Yeah, yeah, because you know that there's definitely film. According to on-site witnesses, they were out there with cameras during that event. So somewhere there is evidence of that taking place in Rendlesham. So that would be great to get out. It would. And I think it's great. We need more governments coming out publicly and saying they are taking this on. Okay, I think this comes on the heels of Canada doing it, and now that Canada and everybody and the governments of North America are doing it, Mexico's been doing it for much longer than Canada and the U.S., I think that it's time that the U.K. started opening up. I think it's great news. I think it works, and it's something that uh, that we should be proud of. really is. I mean, hopefully they will be a little bit more open mouthed than other governments have been hint hint the united states okay but we'll see it's a start you need a starting point on something and you know they need to be able to see where they want to go with this 
and eventually hopefully get the experiencers involved in this as well. Let's continue on, Tim, because the SCU has announced a partnership with National UFO Historic Records Center and Project Hestelin. What's this all about? That's right. And in fact, uh, Rich was kind enough to talk about that tonight. Um, I put that question in front of him and he brought forth the fact that they're excited to work with David Marlar at the National UFO Historical Records Center. And um, there is Project Hesselden, which is a European UFO network that is working to uh, partner up with SCU. And that is going to be a collaboration between the two of sharing data between the two countries. And now also we're getting the historical records, which include all of Project Blue Book uh, now with SCU. And so perhaps there's data within those files and those historical files um, that will reveal something to SCU that will unlock some of the big quandaries that they're trying to answer. Well, we're going to see. I mean, Hesdalen is an area where they get these strange lights. It's almost like, you know, uh, some really bright neon type lights that nobody seems to understand how this this phenomena starts. We don't know if it's extraterrestrial. Many people believe that it is some sort of earthly phenomena that we haven't been able to explain, maybe with gases that mix or or whatever it may be. I mean, what, just your thoughts of that all. Well, I know that, um, for example, there was a paper written not too long ago on orbs, and perhaps the different colors were due to different gases that were involved with the orbs. I was kind of hoping that we could dive into that tonight with Rich, because I know that that uh, SCU had done a paper on that at some point. Um, and I'm imagining that what is going on in Hesselden Valley in Norway um, that began back in 1983 um, is potentially something demonstrated there. Now, is that um, an extraterrestrial thing or is it um, natural? Is still kind of up uh, in the air. I know that SCU produced some explanations that are pro- potentially mundane, but um, it may not lock into what is going on at Hesselden, but we know that Hesseldalen, rather, but we know that historically um, Norway had been producing some incredible video that I think they followed up with even some scientific data where they tested the weather and things like that to see if it was mundane. And so I feel like that's a great collaboration. I think it should be. I think it should be. But it still comes down to everything is how much are they going to put to the public? Right. Right. And, you know, the one thing, like going back to what we heard earlier in the show, it sounds like the entire scientific community really doesn't want anything going to the public. They want all secrets. They want to go the military way and we get screwed. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Going to be we interesting. Need transparency. That is important. Yeah, I I agree with you. We need that transparency that's going on. Right? Yeah. We we need that. Okay, I think we got time for one more here. So, all right, let's sneak it in. Let's see if we could sneak it in here. Mm, where do we go? Where do we go? What was the second one? I hey, Let's drop this second one if you want to talk about Orange Origins Federation. Yeah, let's go there. Pioneering collaborative research into life beyond Earth. That's right. The Origins Federation had a public announcement 
back on March 4th of 2023, announcing that the researchers from four leading institutions uh, are intending to create a research consortium with the goal of facilitating efficient, multidisciplinary and innovative collaborative research to advance the understanding of the emergence and early evolution of life and its place in the cosmos. And so it's involving Harvard University's Origin of Life Initiative, the ETH in Zurich program, Center for Origin and Prevalence of Life, the University of Chicago, Center for the Origins of Life, and University of Cambridge, the Leverhulme Center for Life in the Universe. And so those four will create a consortium with the Origins Federation, and this will pursue scientific research topics of interest to its founding centers with a long-term perspective and common milestones. It will strive to establish a stable funding platform to create opportunities for creative and innovative ideas and to enable young scientists to make a career in this new field. And so the Federation is open to new members, both centers and individuals, and is committed to developing the mechanisms and structure to achieve achieve that aim. And so the inaugural science conference will take place at Harvard University in September of 2023. Pretty exciting initiative to find out more about the origins of life. And I think that's... 92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. 92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. A massively important subject if we're going to delve into life outside of Earth itself. I think so. And I I think, look, we have to have some sort of game plan that is going to get us off this planet, whether it's in five years, 10 years, 50 years, whatever it may be, because we're not earthbound. We need to be able to see what else is out there. That's just our curiosity, never mind the fact that we may one day overgrow this planet or just ruin it due to pollution or whatever it may be. Maybe the poles shift and flip over and then we're all screwed because then we're up being shaken like a nice fresh martini. Who knows? But the idea behind it is the game plan has to be there. The game plan has to be there and, you know, wouldn't you like to be in the war room or the office building or whatever it is to sit there and and discuss what needs to be done in order to create life out in the stars? I mean, that's an impressive conversation by some very smart people that I I, I would just love to sit in there and chew some gum quietly 
and record this. You know what I'm saying? And I don't even no. chew gum. I'm not a gum chewer. Yeah, you don't seem like a gum chewing guy. You seem like more of a mint or or perhaps a lifesaver kind of guy. I, I like a good Tic Tac every now and again. Who doesn't love Tic Tacs? Forget about it. The orange ones? Oh, Those are the best. I don't like the green ones. The green mint ones. I have some orange ones upstairs right now. Oh, Forget man. about it. You're I, talking I, my language. Yeah. I would love to push this a little further with you because I love where you're going with it, though. Um, so, for example, the Center for Origin and Prevalence of Life. The discussion is very interesting. Like, what if that discussion takes them off Earth? The origin of life not really coming from Earth. I think there may be hints of that, you know. But will that be within their discussion? And what about the portion of our DNA that is a little bit of a question mark? How deep are they going to look? Well, I mean, imagine having to be on the team that sets the rules for how to get life somewhere else. Because it's not just bringing humans up there, man. You have to bring plant life. You have to bring organisms that help things grow. And are they going to work in that environment? What kind of amoebas do you use? I mean, what are those ugly little things that are on the moon right now? Uh, um, every human has them on there. You know, they're everywhere. Uh, I forget what they're called. Mm -hmm. But a bunch of them spilled up. They, cr they crashed a box on the moon, and there's a bunch of them there now. They can live in any environment, whether it's dead air, water, uh, very cold temperatures. Why am I right. missing this? I know exactly what they are, and the word just will not come out of my mouth. Right. They got a little star for a mouth. Yes. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know what you're Tardigrades. About. Tardigrades. I got it. Came it out. Is. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you got to have, you know, you got to figure out what works on everywhere you go. Then you have to test the oxygen. If there is oxygen, is it poisonous? Can we breathe in it? Right? Is there a place that we can figure out where we could stash people like Celine Dion or, or you know, uh, Coldplay and and just leave them there? I mean, do we use bad musicians as uh, as test people here or comedians that aren't funny? <laughs> It's a big question. It is Our a big place question. in the cosmos is a massive question. And it looks like they're really trying to put some headspace into this, which is great. I think it's great to, to consider our, e our early evolution of life and its place in the cosmos. And how would we survive on another planet? How would we start that up? How did we start up? And what percentage of that was sparked by alien races who i mean who knows were we brought here and seated um you know are we seated somewhere else well, you know there who knows that's a I good question stuff. that's a good yeah. question but i mean we know mars we know we're probably going to start on mars or pardon me first the moon then mars where do we go from there and what do you set up? Do you do you head to you know to to some of Jupiter's moons? Do you head further out? I mean, this is there has to be like a like a puzzle game plan that you have to draw out for this. Okay, so if we can establish life on the moon, and then we can establish life on Mars, do we just settle there for the next five hundred thousand years? Because yeah, the people, I mean, 
because of the atmosphere, the people who live on Mars then won't be able to travel to Earth because they won't be able to handle Earth's atmosphere, those humans. So then they become aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I think time travel is so potentially part of the puzzle because, you know, when you see people describing greys and stuff, that's just another form of life that exists somewhere that that is the right form that works there. You know, it's like life just manages to exist in places, right? When we see that, and that's what we're starting to see that. I mean, personally, I've got some chips on Europa. When I was a kid in college, my first sci-fi film that I ever made was called Europa 66. And it was about this pilot that accidentally time travels and ends up at, and, you know, time travels and time and space jumps because he ends up crashing into Europa and uh, surviving there. But, uh, he comes in contact with some, some not so nice aliens with octopus arms and yeah, he gleans a cube. It's pretty deep. Look for it. Europa 66. It's hard to find, but it's out there. Um, it's chilling. But that's, it's a chilling thought though. It's chilling, but it's science fiction, you know, and I was thinking about that stuff when I was a kid, you know, but at the same rate, now we're looking at it as potentially real. Right. And these guys are talking about it in a realistic way. And I think that's fantastic. I really do. Oh, man. I I would just like to be, you know, one of those conversations. There are so many just one-off conversations I would love to say that I've experienced in my life. That would be one of them, is what is the setup? How does this work? How do we get them there? You know, do we have, like I think we do, the, the astronauts all ready to fly these giant spacecraft to the moon? So you'd have to take a rocket to these spacecraft that are already, what, hovering somewhere? Maybe not on the moon, but to go out to Mars. Do you have to have craft somewhere? Do you have to have gas stations in order to get there? You know, and, and will they wash your windshield while they're refilling you? Do they test the oil? I don't know. Can you shut off your engines while you're refueling? Right. I mean, I mean these are questions that that need to be answered. I totally agree. I think it's fantastic, and it makes the mind kind of just boggle with all kinds of possibilities. Absolutely. And you know what? Right now, there is a there is a three, four, five, six year old child out there who is probably already mesmerized by space that is going to have those answers and going to experience space and and is going to experience it. Think about that. That generation may already be born or just being born. I look at my grandson. What's he in for? What's he going to be seen? Or even my son at nine years old, your children are still young. Yeah. What are they going to see? I would love for them to be able to plant their feet on another planet safely. That'd be amazing. What if they couldn't come back? I would think that would be incredible. You know, if they chose that, I would support it. Of course, it's like joining the army. It's a tough choice, but, you you know, I would support it. Anyone that wanted to do that, I would support. Absolutely. And that's why you're the best when it comes to the UFO report. Tim Senor, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been a power show, to say the least. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. 
Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at home, at work, in your cars, whatever you may need. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAP, Facebook, LinkedIn, Spreaker, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Remember, this show is copyrighted by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends, we own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we got room for them, too. Good night. of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. 92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial.